0: Leading Britain's conversation. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC.
1: Morning, everybody. It's Thursday morning. Go whoopee twice and then just put it to one side because it's going to get colder for the weekend, even though yesterday was glorious. People say, what are you wearing your anorak for? I said, because when I set off in the morning, it is blooming cold. The end of Glastonbury? Surely not. They found the Loch Ness Monster? Surely not. It never existed in the first place. They managed to find some doolally man from the shores of... uh, Of uh, Loch Ness. And now it turns out there is no trench running down the middle, which is where they thought the monster was hiding. Uh, Princess Beatrice, honestly, what is it about that barking mad family? They can't get anything right, can they? Father hangs around with a convicted paedophile. Mother hangs around with some very undesirables. And now here's little Princess Beatrice hanging around with a charity that could be under investigation. All of that in Cliff's Winery after this. Oh, and the the, uh, the curry house you won't want to visit... Uh, in fact, I think it's changed hands now. And there's a joke there somewhere, so we'll come round to that later. The Charlie's Angels gang, there was nothing attractive about them. They were Bosnian thieves. And uh, they got caught out. One's been on the run for two years in this country. Proving to me once and for all that the policing really needs upping quite a lot. Uh, the Love Cheat star, uh, who's gagged the, uh, the papers, now wants to gag Google as well. I mean, it's getting more embarrassing for this poor couple by the daily basis. I mean, everybody knows who it is, for goodness sake. You know, just come out and tell everybody. Makes it much easier. Vernon Kay's screen time on drive is to be cut. 400,000 viewers switched off for the latest episode. Um, I don't think it's anything to do with what what he's done. I think it's just a boring format. Once you've seen a celebrity naff boring format of people driving cars, you're a bit fed up with it, aren't you? I mean, what's new about that? So you drag out some people who aren't working. You stick them in a few cars. And you go, oh, God, so who are the celebrities? And they've got some people in there, that some of which I like. And and then you sort of see, oh, Professor Green's in there. Oh, God, give it up, mate. Uh, David Guest, according to one of the papers today, they reckon he's broke to the tune of half a million quid. He was apparently thinking of going on Bear Grylls' programme. What a load of Codswallop. Of course he isn't. Of course he isn't. He had high blood pressure. There was no chance he was ever going to pass the medical for that. No chance that he was ever going to get onto the programme. And the truth of the matter is that David Guest always lived the fantasy life. The fantasy life being, um, let's try and pretend that I'm really, really famous, when in fact I'm not. Uh, so they'll all turn out for his funeral. But of course, all these people who claim to be his friends. You see, the other day, Nancy Delusional turned up. I didn't even know she was still in the country. I thought she'd been kicked out ages ago. This poor old woman, honestly, is still trying to salvage what is laughingly called a career. My bees no cheat, or bow. Beau. My bows no cheat. Doesn't quite sound the same, does it? My beau's no cheat, says Britain's Got Talent star dad. You know she's got an agent already. She's got a top showbiz agent already. I know this because he tweeted her the other day. Jonathan Shallot has signed her up already. He doesn't miss an opportunity, does he really? Uh, Holly and Pip say goodbye to Denise, goodbye. All the all the papers feature on this is Denise Robertson. Who was on the same program for ages and ages. They all focused on the fact that Eamon Holmes and Ruth were there and Pip and uh, and Holly, and only one of them featured a picture of of uh, of her husband. I thought was rather sad. I thought he was the most important person in that. But never let never let it be said that celebrities don't muscle in on somebody else's misfortune. Uh, Duncan James has thrown a hissy fit in a restaurant in Torquay, of all places. Had one of those Queenie fits. You know what it's like. And um, apparently, uh, picking a home is easier than planning a dinner party. Plus, the, the the duchess couple, you know, wandering around doing the usual sort of thing. So so we've met poor people. Uh, now we go off to a wildlife park, and we feed little baby elephants and rhinoceroses. And it's just photo opportunity. They get fed every day. They just give it to somebody else to hold. And so it sort of, it uh, turns the attention to the plight of baby elephants and stuff like that. Uh, an octopus has escaped back into the sea. It managed to get itself through a six-inch pipe. They're not stupid... Octopuses are really clever. Do you remember they had the one that picked out lottery numbers? Well, it turned out it didn't. It turned out to be a load of old hooey. And the war hero Tory MP at the centre of the talk-to-the-totty sexism row. He's known. He's very well known. Plus the dominatrix um, and, uh, and, and John Whittingdale. I have to be honest, looking at a picture of the, of the dominatrix, um, was he paying for this hooker? That's what I don't understand. I mean, th- th- there was no mention of it. I mean, I, to be honest with you, and I've said this before, I couldn't give a forex who people want to pay to sleep with. Or, you know, if that's what he's into, if he's into being dominated, well, then he's obviously a public schoolboy, so he likes a bit of the old slap. More slap than tickle, I suspect. And I think to myself, well, if that's what he chooses to do, it's up to him. I couldn't care less. Doesn't make any difference. It's legal as far as I know. It just makes him look a bit of a fool. That, you know, somebody that we're supposed to look up to, not that I look up to any MPs at all, I have to tell you, uh, you know, chooses to to sleep with a hooker and somebody who sells her, her services. I mean, it's a seven-month relationship. Is it is it really a relationship? I mean, is that sort of lovey-dovey, holding hands, kissing? I'm just curious, though, because people like this make their living through, through charging. She's a dominatrix. You don't... If, if she's a hooker... That's that's what her trade is. I don't know what she puts down on the tax return. Um, And there's been no mention of money at all. So I'm assuming it was uh, it was what they call freebies in the business. But it was a seven month relationship. And then strangely, when he discovers what she does for a living um, and you go, but wait a minute, what have you been doing? He took her to a couple of events and they held hands, but he didn't know what she did for a living. Uh, then he decided to finish the relationship. So obviously he thought there was something wrong with going out with a dominatrix. He must have done. Otherwise, why would you finish with somebody? If it was a good relationship and he enjoyed her company and people do. I mean, I've seen the film Pretty Woman. I'm not stupid enough to think that there aren't attractive hookers out there who um, who sort of fall in love and clients fall in love with them. And it's all a bit it's all a bit lovely and wonderful. I think that was a bit of a romantic comedy, though. I don't seriously believe there are hookers who look like uh, the woman in, in Pretty Woman. I don't think so. Anyway, <laughs> if they're out there, they're probably making a very, very good living and you'll never hear. Because I think you get upper class hookers, don't you? Have you? I watched a programme on the television years ago and it looked at one woman and they looked at street walkers in London and Leeds. And because it's the world's oldest profession, we're told. I don't know how they came up with that one, but it's the it's oldest profession in the world. And they said that you get girls who walk the streets, uh, a lot of them uh, paying pimps to look after them and uh, a lot of them with uh, with sort of drug problems as well which bit of which is a bit of a problem then you get you know the ones who operate at the phone boxes who bear no resemblance to the photo that goes up in the uh, in the phone box because they just stick different different coloured wigs on and then you get the uh, the prostitute who is set up in a flat by generally a few men, and she services just three or four... Met services, what a dreadful expression. She looks after three or four men, and they pay for the flat. And so they they would rather do that. I mean, this one went August to Feb, 13 to 14. I had a relationship with someone who I met through Match.com. She was a similar age and lived close to me. At no time, he said... Did she give me any indication of her real occupation? And I only discovered this when I was made aware that someone was trying to sell a story about me to tabloid newspapers. As soon as I discovered, I ended the relationship. It's an old story. Well, not that old, dear. We're only in the year 2016 at the beginning of it. It's not that old. But uh, they decided not, not to publish the story. It's interesting. I can't quite work out. The son of all papers and the people and the Mail on Sunday, they had a great story about somebody who was with a dominatrix and they decided not to print it. That's very unusual, isn't it? Very unusual, and yet they're, sort of, they're very keen to, to print uh, sort of lots, of, uh, lots of other things. But uh, then they say that campaigners, for, you know, for a tighter press regulation, accuse the papers of hypocrisy, pointing out, I suppose, which is right, that as chairman of the Culture Committee, Mr Whittingdale had opposed statutory regulation. But, you know, so why would you finish with someone? Is it because he discovered what she did for a living, or was it because he discovered somebody was trying to t- sell a story? So who would sell a story unless it was her? Unless she's sort of because there's lots of pictures of what I'm assuming is her in the papers today, wearing what I assume is what they laughingly call a dominatrix outfit. I mean, I don't know because I've never, never been with a dominatrix. I know you might listen to this program and think that I'm fairly well informed about it, but I promise you, I haven't. And uh, but I ha- I do know people who um, who have. Uh, Lee Baldry, he says, I'm gutted. I'm losing radio reception. Oh, no, no. <laughs> he says, you've got me laughing all alone driving to the north. Oh, dear. Losing the radio reception. Need to get a digital radio, Lee? Told you before, digital radio, way forward. Very exciting. Actually, I I saw our mutual friend Ashley the other day. He looks very well. Looking very, very well. Very, very well at the moment. He's always got a big smile on his face. I don't know. I can't work out why he's always got a big smile on his face. Anyway, we had a little chat, and then I came in this morning, and you know that we've got these little dangly dongly things here it's a little piece of plastic which is impregnated with a chip which tells the company everything about me except where I keep my money. It doesn't tell them that at all. And this gets me through all the doors. And every time I go through a door in this building, doesn't matter whether it's a studio door or a door that links uh, offices or things like that, it flashes up on the computer. So you can be tracked throughout the building. So if anything disastrous happens to me, like I collapse or something like that, they can go, Why, where, where has he been this morning? And they can go, right, he started off here. At this time, he went through that door. And it's, it's a way of keeping track on everybody because this is a huge building. There's a thousand. There are over a hundred presenters in this building, I discovered this morning. Over a 100 radio presenters just in this building alone, all owned by the same company. And um, and so we've, we've now gone back to the system of having our photo on the cards, and it says presenter underneath. And it's got a nice... And actually, I'm, I'm going for it in a big way, because it's a better photo than the one I've seen on top of my email account, which isn't so, uh, which isn't so good at all. So yesterday, 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 what did we do yesterday? Oh, uh, we managed to get it all in. We had a fantastic interview with, uh, with John Favreau, uh, about Jungle Book. Did I mention Jungle Book and how good a film it is? Everybody was saying to me, what's Jungle Book like? What's it? I said, go see it. Go see it. It's really good. I said, it's very clever. Very, very clever. Especially when you discover that the whole thing is CGI and only the kid and there's, there's bits behind the scenes, which are really fantastic. Really good. You know, really, really nice. Nice things. So we had a good chat with him. Then I wandered over the road and there was a really good crowd for, um, for Dynamo, who was unveiling this plaque, in Wardour Street. Literally, it's within five minutes of here. Less than five minutes. You go you go across the square, past the M&M shop, and you turn right. It's over there on the left. It's it's that close. And there was a good, good crowd of at least, uh, I don't know, 100 people, something like that. He did it. And the only person who actually publicised it was me. I don't think anybody at the Magic Circle put out a press release, but they didn't sort of publicise it to the public, so I did it. And so we got loads of listeners there, which was lovely. And thank you uh tony from little italy came along he was there and oh i bumped into oh I bumped into loads of people actually loads of people from the circle that i'd not seen for ages and ages and it was it was really lovely and i had a chat with dynamo's manager to try and get him uh, into the studio last time it didn't come together so we're going to try and push it to make it come together and then i went back to the doctor and that's where the day started going horribly wrong that's where i knew I knew when my diabetic uh, doctor walked past me and she looked at me and thought, oh, God, it's going to be a nightmare. And I said to one of the, the women in there who I know, in fact, I know quite a few people in there. I said, oh, she's not going to be pleased with me. Anyway, um, it, it wasn't good news. I mean, it wasn't disastrous news. Well, it was. Um, it was uh, the, the diabetes has got worse. So, you know, but that I, I knew anyway. So what we're having to do now is we're having to change the uh, the time of the injection in the morning. So, we're going to do an injection at seven when we're going to have a sandwich, and then we're going to have another injection at four and another one at about half past five. Uh, plus, I've got to check my blood sugars. Four times a day. Well, unfortunately, what did I forget this morning? The blasted machine. So I've forgotten my machine this morning, but it doesn't matter. I shall I shall do it when I get in, and then sort of start keeping a, a tag on it there. And then we're going to knock out a couple of the tablets, which we don't think are making any difference. So all we're trying to do is get down the the readings and try and get down to uh, to something which vaguely resembles something which is going to do me some good. But at the moment, it's all a bit it's all a bit pie in the sky, and it's a bit up in the air. And the other disaster was I'm supposed to be seeing the podiatrist uh, to have the feet done. Uh, because if you're diabetic, you've got to look after your feet, otherwise, you know, you lose your feet or toes or something like that. And uh, so I get a letter back from the hospital yesterday. I thought, oh, good, they've got my appointment. No, they're so swamped in podiatry, it's an eight-week wait. And they, and even then, they're not sure. So, in fact, she said, I'll, I'll write you a little bit nearer the time. Uh, so uh, you'd think, actually, by now, they'd be crying out, wouldn't they, to get podiatrists into hospitals. They're so busy... That you've got to wait eight weeks for that. Blimey, I'd I'd, I'd get quicker service if I was having a heart attack. Well, of course you'd have to, I suppose,
0: just going in there.
1: On the subject of of David Guest, and um, another one here. Uh, this is somebody, a lot of people talking about the so-called friends who crawl out the woodwork when somebody dies and try and latch on to him and so they've got half of Coronation Street are going to be going to see David Guest at his funeral I thought of course they are, it's a photo opportunity now isn't it, it doesn't come down to anything more than uh, can I get my photo there and then they invite people on so we get Yuri Geller, who mentioned Michael Jackson fairly quickly we thought within nine seconds and, um, and then, what if, oh yes Sky got Nancy Delusional because they're all claiming. I mean, he was also my, my best friend. I just couldn't really be bothered to go and talk about him. But I did predict yesterday. I'm telling you now. I reckon he'll die flat broke. Because if he was, if they're now talking about the fact that he was going go to go onto Bear Grylls's program, well, he wouldn't have. He wouldn't have survived. They wouldn't have. He wouldn't have got through the medical. He's got high blood pressure. He was ill. He looked ill two days before he died. Of course, nobody mentions it, do they? You go, oh, you look really... Oh, doesn't look all well, does they Check the hotel room for that one. And the sad thing was, as we pointed out yesterday, that for 48 hours, nobody phoned him. All these so-called friends. All these so-called... Oh, yes, I was a really close friend of his. Why didn't you bloody well call him then? Don't, or don't, don't you call friends? You just leave it there until there's a photo opportunity. It really makes me sick. It really does. It's sort of, you know, people who go, oh, yes, I was very friendly with so-and-so. Really? When was the last time you saw him? You saw him at a charity event. That's all it was. You saw him at a charity event. I'll tell you who was the disaster. Yes, oh, I can't wait to tell you about this one. Guess who, um, guess who was a little bit emotional in the theatre. Yes, it's our good old friend Sarah Harding. Sarah Harding went out to see Jersey Boys. Uh, event, and it was all terribly emotional for her.
0: And I'm going to tell you the story after this. Steve Allen on LBC. Steve Allen on LBC. Text 84850.
1: Very odd, isn't it? We were sort of we were trying to work out earlier on, only in my own mind, trying to work out why four papers who would normally print these sort of salacious stories. Because I'm sorry, dribbled. Um, If there's one thing we love in this country, it's it's sort of famous person and hooker. Because we don't get those stories very often. What we normally get is bimbo page three failure, beds footballer, and that's what you normally get. Or sort of. Really, really rich footballer with wife and and children beds old hooker. You know, you get those sort of stories, and we like them. And the uh, and the sun at the moment are going big on the famous celebrity who's gagged them because of you know what might have might not gone on. I mean, having now, I'm, I'm sure I can mention this to you, but you'll you'll have to decide whether I can mention this. So you better keep your finger on the button. Just in case, I think you can actually. I'm not naming the person, but a friend of mine read the article, because you can read this article in Scotland, you can read it in was, and it involves olive oil. And that's not Popeye's olive oil, this is olive oil. And I thought, what a waste of olive oil, you know, as you do. I've never ever thought about, you know, a bath of olive oil. It's never crossed, all I can think of is, must have really gorgeous skin. Because I'm sure that olive oil is very... Anyway, I, I just sort of mentioned that. But then, strangely enough, one of the other papers, only a short while ago, you know, a Tory MP sent explicit text to a single mother saying, I'm desperate for sex with you during this alleged two-year affair. So what's the matter with that? I don't quite understand. So this is a man, she's, he, he's, he's writing to a, a single mother, and he says, I'm desperate for sex with you. I mean, what are you supposed to do? I'm desperate to do a jigsaw with you and have a cup of coffee. Or, I'm desperate to just hold your hand. I mean, he was obviously a bit desperate. He sent uh, naked pictures of himself. Um, He's 56. He's a father of five. He then issued a grovelling apology. Because he was exposed in, I mean, quite literally, in more ways than one. And you think to yourself, but does... That's what he chooses to do. I mean, if I choose to go out of here and start talking to trees in Leicester Square, that's my business. But somebody might go, he's gone a bit mad. Because they thought Charles, Prince Charles, was a bit mad for talking to plants. So, consequently, they have to... They obviously weigh up in their minds, and I can't quite work out, I've got a sneaking feeling, why they would run some stories and not run other stories. But in the, in this particular one, this, this man was splashed all over the paper. And so, anyway, his wife has now... Um, sort of had to move out of their constituency home in Essex. And he said he traumatised his family with bizarre and abhorrent behaviour. Well, it's got to be pretty bizarre if you put a nude picture of yourself up. on. Because the moment you take a nude picture of yourself with your telephone and you send it to somebody, it goes into the public domain. Everybody's got it. You can find it. You know, it can be on Snapchat. It can be on Google. You can find it anywhere. The amount of celebrities who take racy pictures that's the best way i could describe it of themselves and then it goes public and it goes viral and you start thinking but you know surely um a tory with a dominatrix i mean not just a hooker a dominatrix i mean that takes it to a new level basically new mind you new level story in the paper okay here we go it's uh it's celebrity knock 'em down time Yes. Who falls under it? We did mention yesterday on the free podcast, I think the day before, that uh, well-known, not doing anything at all at the moment, Sarah Harding, uh, had her issues in the past, falling down in gutter, staying in gutter, breaking down, doing the usual sort of drama queen bits, without actually anything to back it up. She's not sure if she's uh, a singer... Uh, which we've already decided she's not. Uh, She's not sure if she's an actress. We've definitely decided she's not an actress. Coronation Street decided that one. And in fact, there's not really a lot she does. But every time she gets a new boyfriend, she tells a celebrity magazine. So imagine our surprise when we discover that Sarah Harding was actually on a list for a free ticket to go see the Jersey Boys, which a lot of people went to see in this building. A lot of people, better than I, went to see the Jersey Boys. And so she goes, but she wins the award from one columnist as the worst person to sit next to in a theatre. She bagged the title on Tuesday after disrupting the eighth anniversary gala performance of Jersey Boys. After dutifully hitting the free bar, we are told Sarah took her seat at the Piccadilly Theatre and quickly made herself the centre of attention. The theatre source said Sarah looked like she'd had a few liveners. <laughs> That's what they call it now, a few liveners. I think they mean a few sherbets. But it sounds better, doesn't it? What have you had? I've had a livener. You see, I just, I tend to want to go to sleep, actually. But anyway, uh, she was uh, a bit erratic during the show, singing loudly, talking in scenes and waving her arms about. People sitting near were moaning. She left for some fresh air and luckily didn't come back. Pals close to Sarah uh, said afterwards that she'd been... Sorry. Oh, God. She'd been rocked by the death of David Guest. And, uh, as indeed, we all were. I mean, I, I could barely speak for at least about... Two seconds. And uh, anyway, the pair introduced at a friend's wedding in 2010 and obviously spoke regularly on the telephone and were sort of you know, really, really close buddies, shared an unlikely friendship not widely known until now. Funny that, isn't it? Luckily, he's dead, so he can't come back and go, You're a liar, Harding. You're a liar. Because you can't prove it. A close friendship. Yeah. Who does Sarah Harding have close friendships with? Herself. I suspect. Anyway, they used to go to uh, a secret celeb haunt. Because that's how you keep relationships secret, isn't it? You go to a celeb haunt. Anyway, yesterday, to help explain her behaviour, Sarah sent a note that she'd penned to David, to uh, to the showbiz columnist in The Sun, and it read, From the day we met to recent shenanigans... You never fail to entertain and amuse us with your wicked sense of humour. You are truly special and generous to so many people in so many ways. Oh, it's lovely, isn't it, really? And uh, and so she, she sent a note that she penned to David. But he's dead. I don't know how he expects to read the blooming thing. But uh, as usual, Sarah Harding, literally, I think she's dragged out the five minutes for more than... I think really, darling, you need to get a job in a supermarket... On the till, won't tax you. You can sit there and you can, you know, earn your £7.20 an hour or whatever it is because uh, the showbiz career has finished. It's finished. It finished when you left Girls allowed. It never went any further than that. Much as though you wanted to tell us you were an actress, unfortunately, proving that was quite difficult. Coronation Street really had never met anything like you before. You did all your interviews beforehand. You did all the right things, dear, but you're now getting a little bit old to be sort of, you know, getting a bit drunk at the bar I, I don't know how old she is, but she's certainly over 30. In fact, I think she's probably well over 30. But, uh so, just give it up now, Poppet. Get yourself a proper job, because otherwise, you know, we're going to be seeing you as a down-and-out, sitting with a little note round your neck. I saw a note round somebody's neck the other day. They were sitting on the pavement. Where were they? Where were where Where were they? Oh, they were sitting on Waterloo Bridge. And he was... No, he wasn't. He was down here. He was down here by the uh, the statue which is opposite the Garrick Theatre, and he was sitting there, very smart, with a neatly trimmed beard, and he had a sign up saying, broke like really broke. And I thought, I think you're a fraud. He looked like he could have been a journalist. He certainly didn't look broke to me. The sort of people you see sitting there have got a dog, although the bloke by the National Gallery playing one of those dreadful squeeze boxes has got the biggest dog you've ever seen. I think they're, they're Romanians. We get those and they just sit there and... Be- They're all over the place. Brighton is absolutely swamped. Went down there last weekend, if you remember. Brighton is swamped with these Romanian beggars who sit there holding up... So- Nobody can speak. Even this bloke who was sitting there with a very smart beard, looking like he'd just come out of a shower. I mean, seriously. And then there was one two two spaces down from him, looking equally smart. I suspected they were part of the same con artist gang. Because that's just ridiculous. You don't sit... The whole idea is if you're on the streets, you look like you're a wreck. These people did not look like Rex at all. I don't think I want to tell you about the uh, about the curry house. You shouldn't really go anywhere near It's too too disgusting for words. Really too disgusting. And uh, I do like the story though of uh, of the 30 minute charge for your mobile, and the battery will then last all day. Because I mean, at the moment I I charge mine up, and I'm down. Oh, I'm still at 100%. So that's okay, isn't it? But I haven't actually used the phone for any. I've sent a couple of texts, and that was it this morning. Uh, plus uh, the wild nights and the wellies at the Oxbridge of the countryside. I know somebody in this building who'd love to go down to Oxbridge. Oh, the totty... Da- oh, we can't use the word totty, can we? Can't use the word totty. Uh, but the, the girls down there, they apparently walk around in the countryside in stockings and suspenders. Can you believe that? God, dear. If you were somebody who was looking for their, you know, first bit of encounter, you'd be heading for Oxfordshire straight away. It's all out there in the fields, like planted. It's fantastic.
0: LBC News Time, 4.30. Nick Ferrari at breakfast. Every weekday morning from seven. Only on LBC.
1: And coming up with Nick Ferrari at breakfast this morning, with just three weeks to go, till Londoners head to the ballot boxes to vote for the next mayor. Does the capital deserve and need a personality politician? What do you reckon? A personality politician? I think so, don't you? Oh, the producer's not too sure on that one. Oh, we could disagree. An argument. Whee! Fight, fight. No, I mean, I think they've got to have some sort of personality, haven't they, to sell us abroad and to uh, and just sort of be more interested. I never think it's a proper job anyway. I know it pays serious money, but I, I never think it's a proper job. I just think you sort of go round, you get in a car, and then they take you to here, and you have a, a lunch and wave at people, and then you become a bit of a buffoon or whatever. No, I think personality. Have any of them got personalities, though? That's what you've got to decide. A survey revealing what British Muslims really think aired on our TVs last night. We'll be with a Muslim family to get their reaction to the documentary. The man responsible for making sure our schools are up to scratch, which is Ofsted's chief inspector, Sir Michael Wilshaw, takes your calls. And the Times columnist, Hugo Rifkind. will take a look through this morning's papers. That's Nick Ferrari at 7 after the morning news with Lisa Aziz. I'm Steve Allen. This is Early Breakfast. We're here with the spike. Pew at 4am uh, in the morning. So I think personality mayor. I like it. We've had a personality mayor. I mean, all of them we've had so far. You know, Ken Livingston, and I know now he's a bit ancient, but, I mean, he had a personality at the time. A little bit biased, a little bit sort of left of Genghis Khan. But that was quite funny. And, um and then he tried to get back in again and the public decided we don't want you. So that was it. So he sort of just relegated to sitting in the garden by the privet hedge and and here as well of course, which is far more entertaining than anything ever did as he was when he was mayor of London. He was the man who gave us those ridiculous bendy buses. What a stupid waste of money that turned out to be. And then we get uh, we get Boris and people go all oh, bungling Boris, and you think, no, actually, it's, he's he's actually he's made more impact. I love listening to him. I mean, I couldn't care less about politics. I, I don't tend to vote for people for politics. I vote for them if I like what they get up to in their private life. You know what I'm saying? I like that idea. If they, if they push the boat a little bit in their private life, I think that's a good idea. And of course, Ken and David are back on Saturday morning from 10. Incidentally, I had a word with the boss yesterday. We are on speaking terms. Apparently it's okay. And uh, he, always, he always comes over because I mean, he, he was wearing one of, his, one of his nice suits the other day. One of his posh suits. He has, he has, he has suits and then posh suits and then he has dress down day. Uh, that doesn't that doesn't come up. He, he's 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 happier in a suit. I'm convinced, and I'm happier seeing him in a suit because I, I quite like that sort of that smart dressing up look. And I don't I don't dress up. I can't. We have one of the people who drives the desk. He's driven it for this program as well. Tom, who dresses up every day. I mean, yesterday it was like he'd walked literally out of a dry cleaners. I was seriously. I mean, I had to point him out to the boss. I dragged him back in. I said, "Look, show him what you're wearing." And my boss said, "Oh, perhaps we can get everybody to dress like that, Steve, <laughs> over my dead body. Perhaps sooner than we think." And uh, I think it's because he works at a different radio station and a lot of them dress up down there. Although most of the presenters don't bother, I've noticed. <laughs> it's just the staff who dress up, which I quite like that idea. I, of course, I mean, I've I'm, I'm not dressed up at all, as if you saw me, you would realise. But uh, so I was, I was saying to him about the In Conversation programme. And I said, now I start on a Sunday morning from five until seven. And then Andrew Castle starts at seven. And then that girl that you love, don't you? My goodness me, you loved Katie Hopkins last weekend. There was one or two of you who didn't like her. But there again, luckily, because they've already aired their grievances, we don't have to hear from them ever again. And so she can just get on and do the programme, which she did brilliantly last week. So that was good fun. And, And the In Conversation programme runs between nine and ten at night. And I thought, why can't we run it Saturday morning? Because I'm on on Saturday morning with the best of Steve Allen so what we thought what we thought is if we do on Saturday morning between 5 and 6 a.m the best of Steve Allen an hour and then we put in conversation on between six and seven on a Saturday morning that will solve it because we've got some really cracking guests and I don't like to uh, to lose out and uh, he thinks it's a brilliant idea so we're doing it from this week so from this Saturday, a bit short notice, I realise, for the team putting it together. But it's only an hour to put together, and they lift bits of this uh, programme, and then it's a bit four little bits, won't it, or something like that. And then we'll, we'll put that out, and then it'll be in conversation. And this weekend, it's going to be uh, John Favreau, and we'll talk about Jungle Book. Have I mentioned that? Very good film, very good film. And uh, Don Cheadle. As well. So it's it's two super A-list guests, always A-list guests, but uh, two super American A-list guests for this week. So that's on Saturday morning between six and seven for In Conversation. Best of Steve Allen between five and six. So th- I thought that was sorted out actually a little bit quicker than I actually imagined. Uh, somebody says you talk as if David Guest lay dead for weeks. No, I didn't. No, it didn't. he didn't. He died two days ago. Well, in fact, it's probably three, four days ago now, we think. So he was, th- they found him, not yesterday, they found that yes, it's been about four days ago. He was dead on the floor of the hotel for, for, for two days. They said, it's only two days. Well, it wasn't, it's four days. Let's get your facts right. Nothing worse than a stupid person. And uh, says, I wouldn't assume the worst part and give them a time before doing something. He's an American and he's dead. What are you talking about? Give him time. What for? I didn't know him. Nothing to do with me. But I'll tell you what, he's been staying in the Four Seasons Hotel. I hope to God he's got the money to pay for it in his will. But I have a sneaking feeling, as he was trying to line up another reality show, I think he's broke. I think he's a bit like uh, Nancy Delusional, where she tries to do it so they, they almost jump ahead of themselves. Because I don't know what she does for a living. I really don't. I've got no idea. That they sort of call her a socialite. She was never a socialite. She just looked like a woman with a dead bird's nest stuck on her head. You know, and turned up to Downing Street. People, oh, right, oh. all the old men seem to like Nancy delusional. And uh, then you realise she's as crack as a pot, Really mad as a broomstick. So uh, nobody bothered with her at all. The best she got was talking about David Guest. I think probably cut from the same tree, I think. Uh, Sue says, I, I dropped off a card and some flowers. I couldn't find the plaque at number 17. It's literally just two minutes from this, this building, Sue. Literally two minutes. Uh, I laughed last week while golfing, says Jamie... Knowing the famous Sarah Harding's house was across the road, we saw her driving out of her gate and out of her drive and smash into the gates. (laughs) I think that's quite a nice idea, actually, quite a nice idea, (laughs) which is very good. And um, if Sarah Harding was that close to David Guest, why didn't she try to contact him in the forty-eight hours he was dead? Because their idea—see, you're misinterpreting. You're misinterpreting. This is showbiz friendships. Showbiz friendships are vapid. They're not. They're not proper. Proper friendships, you bump into somebody at an event, and that immediately means that you swap phone numbers that means that they 're then your friend you don 't go out with them, and you probably don't speak to them because they're they 're busy and so in sarah harding 's case, because her sort of friends are you know a little bit a little bit sort of backwards at coming forward, I mean Sherry Hewson revealed the regret of not calling David back, and so she was telling them yesterday that uh, he actually uh, she spoke to him, I think, about twelve days ago. We were arranging to all sorts of things, and he was so full of life. Well, quite clearly not, quite clearly not. He was a very, very ill person, a very, very ill person. And uh, Colleen Nolan, because she likes to jump in on the bandwagon, and she says he befriended everyone. Yeah, but he didn't seem to have any friends. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny that you know he sort of he was friends to everybody because I think he was lonely. I think he was seriously lonely. You know, two days and nobody contacts him. For two days. He's dead on the floor of the hotel and nobody thinks that's odd, do they? I think it's really peculiar. I think that's really sad. I think it gives you a rough idea. He married Liza Manelli. It lasted less than a year and uh, practically drove her into a mental institution. She absolutely hated it. He was, uh, he was a total control freak, which, of course, he demonstrated in the, in the jungle. So uh so that's that's the way it that's the way it works but anyway now he's gone off to join all the pixies upstairs in the, whether he goes to heaven or wherever else but the interesting fact is whether or not he was living hand to mouth they they say in the papers today he was addicted to fruit machines and at one point stood in front of two for 24 hours well i mean i have seen that in Las Vegas. I have seen people standing in front of fruit machines for, you know, you, you go to bed, you come down, they're still standing there with their oxygen cylinders. And I suppose David Guest could do that. What, what David Guest wasn't was he was just, he was a bit like Colleen Nolan. He was a little bit like Jordan. It's just he can only talk about himself. He wasn't really interested. He would pretend he was interested. But if you remember, you know, when he was in the jungle, he got people to do things for him because he couldn't be bothered to do it. And they, they believed that he was really interested. But of course, I don't think he was You know, it's ridiculous. I mean, (laughs) Lee says, my friend Lee Baldry, he says, I'd ask for a refund at the Four Seasons. Two days and no room cleaners. Well, we thought that... But actually, funny you should say that, because I asked a friend of mine the other day. Because the Four Seasons is a a five-star hotel. And uh, if you put a note on the door saying, do not disturb... But, I mean, you know, uh, why would you do that? I would have thought if he liked talking to people so much, he'd be talking to the cleaners and everybody. That's what I would have thought. Oh, he says, who knew I had D.A.B. in the car? <laughs> I can see you. I can see you in your car, Lee. <laughs> do you go to the gym every day? I only ask, actually, because everybody I see on the television doing the uh, the roulette and the things like that, I sort of, I always look at them and I think, have you naturally got a good body or do you have to really, really work at it? Do you really have to? Do you really have to work at it? I mean, because I just don't have the energy for doing things like I'd like to. But I just, I can't get into it. So uh, David Guest, they said here, um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm just telling you the facts here, because it's a fact. But he spent the last days alone. Uh, Friends claim he'd been strung out. So then why didn't they contact him? He would go downstairs to smoke. Most people didn't see him. He was always inside the room. He always had very heavy makeup on. I mean, that's not quite normal, is it? Uh, anyway, earlier this week, his secretary tried to get the celeb on the phone, but he never answered, so she became worried. Uh, they couldn't find him. She tried calling for two days, called security and the hotel manager asking them to uh, check his room. They couldn't find him at all, went to check his room, and he was in the sitting room lying on the floor of the suite. They called the police, and, uh, and he was dead. So that was that. So whether he'd had a massive heart attack or something, but he was always covered in makeup. He used to spend ages uh, doing his uh, his eyebrows and his hair with like a little a little coloured hairbrush kind of thing. Uh, he did seem strung off and went off at the radar. Yeah, because he was he was just one of those sort of people. I didn't know he smoked. I shouldn't imagine that helped. Probably gave him the high blood pressure. And uh, an autopsy will be performed, but they don't expect foul play. Uh, They think it was just a heart attack. Nothing suspicious. Uh, He had to leave the Celebrity Big Brother house in January because he was not very well. So quite clearly, you know, was he he seeing a doctor? They say he had medications for nasty chest problems that wouldn't go away. And he suffered from high blood pressure, for which he took medication. And had been taking sleeping pills for insomnia. See, the one thing I'd never take is sleeping pills. You can get, you can get uh, health sleeping pills, can't you? Which sort of get you through the night. I think the truth of the matter is that he was living in this, this fantasy world of I know all these celebrities, and they all claim to know him. But if truth be known, he'll, he'll die broke. There'll be nothing to leave. There'll be no, no property, I don't think. Why was he staying in a hotel? I mean, if, you, if you're known, you know, and lots of people know couldn't he move in with friends? Or would that be like admitting the fact... I mean, I don't know whether or not they, they managed to do a deal with the, uh, with the hotel. I've got no idea. It's, uh, they say he was larger than life. Unfortunately, in death, not. Uh, anyway, but uh, when, he, when he got uh, with Liza Minnelli, uh, he couldn't wait to negotiate a deal with, a, with one of those uh, colourful magazines. And uh, he accused Lisa of beating him violently and of giving him herpes. She accused him of trying to poison her and stealing her jewellery. And the divorce was finalised. I mean, she's yet to react to the death of her fourth and last husband. I shouldn't imagine she's remotely bothered. I shouldn't ima- Why would you be bothered now? I'm sorry, he tried to sue her. She tried to sue him. Why- and, and so they go, sorry, have you got any thoughts about David Guestine? Wee! I can't see her saying anything else. What's she going to say? Oh, I'm very sorry, but we had a, a really, you know, torturous marriage and it didn't last very long at all. Because he was only interested in probably hearing about Judy Garland. Have you got anything of Judy's? Show me what you've got of Judy's. That, that was his his obsession. It's ridiculous. Um, Stephen Milne says, bless Stephen Mill," because he also is one of these, this, this, there's so much hot totty on television. I can use the word totty if it describes men. Hot hot, hot totty is, is OK, I think, but, but you can't use it if you're describing a woman. I was only saying to Colonel Bob Stewart the other day, I said, really, you really mustn't. Is that naughty? Is that naughty of me? I can't help it because I think you could describe... Can you describe men as totty? I think so. Stephen Milne is is the same sort of totty as uh, as Lee. And he says he's either in the gym or on holiday. You see, I think that's... Some people work, don't they? And they live for going to the gym. Me and the producer just live. I'm not sure we live for going to the gym or anything. I don't think we go to the gym. In fact, actually looking at we don't, do we? I think we actually get to the gym and then we look at it and we see fit people going in and we go, maybe tomorrow. Because Kentucky have got a special deal on two barrels, 15 quid. Let's go there. You know, that's the kind of thing. You do cycle, but you cycle past the gym. The trouble is, I don't think cycling gets you fit. I really don't. I see people who cycle. Psych- exactly. I know. I see people cycling every day and I thought, if I got a cycle, if I got a bicycle, perhaps I could cycle around. and I think, no, it looks blooming dangerous out there. It really does. And also, if I got a puncture, I'd probably cry. And yeah, I'd have to go, I'd have to abandon the bicycle and then or somebody would pinch it because it's the most pinched thing in London, isn't it? It's probably everywhere else, I should imagine. So uh, lots of hot totty listening to the programme this morning, which I like. I like very much indeed. I wonder if we went through the phones of Stephen and Lee, what we'd find in the picture department. <laughs> I'm only guessing out louders. I'm only guessing out loud. I'm only guessing out loud. Uh, good news for me, says Mark, listening to your morning show Tuesday to Saturday. Only ever heard one of your in-conversations. Looking forward to the new layout. Yes, uh, it's so uh, you get me seven days a week. Um, and so Monday through Friday, 4 till 6.30, the usual. I was listening to another radio station coming in. The driver had it on. My God, they dragged out their caller. They had one person on there for, like, seemed like 20 minutes. I thought, is this social services? Perhaps this is sort of some sort of way of getting round the fact that they can't get through to Samaritans, or Samaritans don't want to talk to them. And it was the same... I'd heard them on LBC. Luckily, we ditched them from LBC ages ago because they were so boring. And the highlight of this uh, presenter's life was going to a fish and chip shop in Epping, which all became a little bit uh, apparent as you listened to this dirty conversation. It was, it was seriously like Bring Out Your Dead. And I suddenly realised why LBC is way up there and this other radio station is way down there, bottoming out. It's re- It was really pitiful to listen to. I felt a bit sorry for the bloke, actually. So I, so I googled him when I got in, and then I looked at him and I felt even more sorry for him. You know, because I think you have to... He was, so, he was so begging these people, thank you so much for calling, thank you... I never say that to anybody, because I don't do callers. Don't need to say that. People sort of want to write in anyway. And mainly because it was just... It was like listening to somebody's ramblings to the doctor... It was so dreary. So, so dreary. Anyway, uh, diabetes, apparently. Oh, sorry. Was, oh, that's right. I was telling you about the, uh, I'll miss the... I'll tell you this first. And so Monday through Friday, 4 till 6.30, and you can podcast, and we have a free podcast. Saturday morning, it's now going to be from 5 till 6, the best of uh, Steve Allen, and then 6 till 7, In Conversation. Don Cheadle, John Favreau. This week, we're we'll talking about Jungle Book, and we're going to be talking about the Miles Davis film, which Don Cheadle co-wrote and stars in and directs as well. And then on Sunday morning, I'm live between 5 and 7, and that's with the Sunday papers, where we get to grips with uh, whoever is doing what, with whom, and for how much. And that's always the interesting question. Uh, So that's the line. So seven days a week, and love every second. 13... No, it's not. It's 12 to 5.
0: Steve Allen on LBC. (laughs) Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Morning, a very nice heavy company,
1: 10 to 5, so the front page of the Mirror is the Dominatrix Tory Faces Sleaze Probe. So the story is that uh, this man has uh, an affair for seven months. I think that's quite good going, actually, in anybody's business to make a relationship last seven months. And then because he discovered that she was a hooker, and then he discovered that somebody was trying to sell stories to four national papers, had the story but decided not to run it. So now they're actually investigating it. But as I said earlier on, and I've said it three million times, I couldn't care less what somebody does. I'm really not... Uh, he was divorced. He can go out with who he wants. But obviously in his mind, he saw hooker, me, story being sold, drop her like a tonne of bricks. But for seven months, that's quite a long time, isn't it? For seven months. You know, but they're, they're, it's legal. I don't quite understand what the problem would be. The issue that we have, of course, is with the newspapers, who are keen on running that, um, but didn't run it. But yet want to run the other thing about the celebrity couple and the olive oil. And that's as far as I'm allowed to go on it. And you, ju- and you just can't quite work out what the, what the connection is between the two. Very odd. Very, very odd. Uh, Theresa says Judy Garland died in a London hotel. No, she didn't. She died in a flat in Chelsea on the toilet. OK. I like to put people right because I know everything about Judy Garland. You're talking to the wrong person. If you think you can get one over me, I'm on that one. Uh, Steve, uh, diabetes, very hard. Not, ex- not an exacting science. Unfortunately, sometimes I eat salad and my blood sugar afterwards is, uh, is 17. Go figure. Yeah, I mean, I can't. We're, we're, we're changing the, uh, the dosage. It's different for everybody. I've said before, when people say, how do you know, you know when you're not feeling very well? I sort of feel it in my stomach. I can feel it in my stomach if I'm not if I'm not feeling very well, and I've had this feeling for quite a little while now. So, but I I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Uh, eight four eight five zero oh, Steve at lbc dot co dot uk. Junior from Vauxhall is in the gym in Vauxhall. Does this help get you through? I mean, it's so. Most people in gyms have to wear headphones, don't they? Because it's so dull and boring. I mean, I'm I'm not. I can't say I'm envious of anybody actually in the gym at uh, this time of the morning, but uh, I do admire your, your, um, your fortitude in sailing through on it. On the subject of the Jungle Book, I'm planning to take my six-year-old sensitive grandson to see it. What do you reckon? Is it too scary? Well, the producer reckons seven should be the cut-off. It carries, I think, a PG... It carries PG. Uh, he says seven, but some kids, you know, might deal with it better. There are a few moments where adults will leap out of their skin. It's not it's not deliberately a scary film, but it's the... The, uh, the subject matter is animals, one of whom is Shere Khan, who is the tiger, voiced by Ben Kingsley, and he wants to kill Mowgli. And I'll tell you this now because it's in the original story, because they've stuck very much to the original story, but it's so clever. Such a clever film, as you will discover. And, um and uh Mowgli apparently killed or his Mowgli's father killed Shere Khan's father i think so it's it's when he sort of comes back to uh to get him and he looks for him for the film and so it's the it's the story of that so there's lots of chases there's lots of you know i mean i think 6 is maybe a bit young i think maybe a bit young he says 7 but if you say quite sensitive grandson then Jan absolutely not Seriously, absolutely not. But way, why don't you go see it? If you think it's okay, then go next time and take a six-year-old. But if you say slightly sensitive, they're going to fall out of their seat on this one. But uh, I've just been surfing the internet and seen the names of the celebrity couple. Uh, they're, They're trying to get it stopped on Google. I think now as well. It's just getting so stupid. I can go to Scotland. I can drive to Scotland from here. Or phone a friend of mine up in Scotland. My friend Fat and say, can you send me the paper down with it in? And he can send the paper down. That's as simple as that. And I can sit and read the story. But I'm not, I'm really not remotely interested. I'm really not remotely interested. Yeah. uh, Google to extend the right to be forgotten to all its domains accessed in the EU. The right to be forgotten. It's ridiculous, isn't it? We've got so much access now. I remember the times at LBC when I was here, when we didn't have computers. Seems difficult to believe, but we didn't. And uh, and you think to yourself, how do we get the information? Answer: We went to encyclopedias and we went to the Cuttings Library. And you could phone somebody up at the Telegraph and they'd have a cutting on somebody. And so we used to... I mean, at the moment, people are putting together what they call obits. So, in other words, if certain prominent people die, you've got a programme that you can run straight away. And there's quite a number of people in it. I'm not in the obit section yet. Might as well be. And uh, <laughs> uh, if you do the story on the curry house, uh, I don't think I'm going to do the, uh, the curry house, actually. I've decided it's, it's too awful. It's it's too awful, so I'm not going to do it. And uh, and then uh, Gary says, I tried to get my ex-girlfriend to come over last night. She said, no, I won't get any sleep because you'll have that Steve Allen on. Yeah. I mean, given the choice, ex-girlfriend or Steve Allen, Steve Allen wins hands down, doesn't he? You know, if you want to listen to Steve Allen. If you don't want to listen to Steve Allen, it doesn't I'm not going to lose any sleep about it, I promise you. Uh, Go private, says Patsy. Your feet are important. Should only cost the price of a couple of bottles of Prosecco. Oh, no, it's a bit more than that. It's about 38 quid. Bit more expensive, 38. Uh, I'm in Sri Lanka. Talk about losing a signal. You're sounding like a Dalek, but I'm getting the gist of it, says Chris. Which is good news. I like that. As long as people can hear the programme, I do not mind. I'm very happy. Uh, Hitesh says, you're my pre-gym warm-up. Uh, I listen to you in getting ready to go and in the car on the way. And thanks, says Caroline, for the tip-off about Dynamo, unveiling the Magic Circle plaque. Yes, I think the majority of people there were LBC listeners. I think the majority... I mean, there was a load of people um, uh, from the Magic Circle as well, which was lovely to see them. Really lovely. Brian and David and um, the President Scott was there. I mean, there was just everybody. It was really nice. My friend Daryl was there. Everybody was there. And Dynamo was there. He's so much smaller than you imagine. You know when you see people on TV, you think they look very big and impressive. He's very slight and thin. So, of course, I looked absolutely enormous next to him, so I decided not to have a picture taken, just for my own peace of mind. Other stories in the papers, which we'll come around to uh, later on, including the uh, the Princess Beatrice and deeply disturbing questions over a football star's £1.7 million charity. And this is Didier Drogba. I don't know anything about him, but what he's got, he, he has a charity, and the idea is that it raises money for poor people in other countries. The investigation that the mail appear to have done suggests that uh, the sick Africans this money is supposed to go to never gets there. In fact, they actually, he had two spells at Chelsea. You remember two spells at Chelsea? And he scored their, I think, I think it was their, uh, the penalty that won the, uh, the Champions League. So that's why he's very important. And he's obviously got a foundation... And they've checked here. They said there's 30 times more donor cash spent on parties than building a hospital that's got no staff in it or equipment. And um, they've they've come up with all sorts of things here. They say raised more than £1.7 in the UK over five years, spent just 0.8% on good causes, claimed to be fundraising the construction of a hospital and up to five other clinics, but has built only one clinic which has no staff or medical equipment told supporters one fundraising ball in London had raised 300000 even though it was so expensive to put on, it lost £71,000. Uh, his people have said there is no truth whatsoever in these allegations. Now, in America, people set up these foundations, and what they do is they have balls, and they take place all over the place. Every night of the week, at some place in London, there will be a uh, A ball for a charity, and people go there because they like going out, they like having dinner, they like seeing celebrities, they like getting a good after dinner speech, a nice bit of cabaret and uh, in 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 so many more of these cases that we 're reading about now from the states and from here as well there 's a lot of trousering going on there 's a lot of money that goes into these things and uh, and then it never seems to get where it 's supposed to be going. I can remember one well known charity, and I omit to mention them because they 're very litigious. But this was a charity that claimed to raise money uh, for children in Africa. It's always children in Africa, have you noticed? It's always children. They never say, you know, children in Morecambe or children in Blackpool or anything. It's always children in Africa who must be absolutely swamped with sort of uh, good good people turning up to say, can we use you? Anyway, this particular charity, which is huge, um, raised money so that you could... Uh, sponsor children in an African village. Although I think perhaps every child in an African village must be sponsored by about 500 people. And uh, and so people sent money. And then a television programme decided to investigate and find out exactly what these kids got. And so they went over there and they said, so what did you get from this unnamed charity? And they said, uh, a T-shirt, some pencils, and some photos. And they go, is that it? Yes. And that's all they'd had. This this charity in America is Vast. Vast. But uh, most of the money seems to go on supporting their lifestyles, which is uh, not so good. And this news will not be good for Didier Drogba because uh, he's pictured with all sorts of the good and the great, including Christine Bleakley and uh, Frank Lampard. No suggestion these people know anything about this, but it's not good news.
0: Leading Britain's conversation. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC. Morning, everybody. It's coming up four minutes past five. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast
1: on LBC. So after the hottest day of the year, a cold, wet weekend. Oh, dear. Cliff's Algarve Winery is on sale. Seven and a half million he's looking for. Uh, Cherie Blair saves thousands in tax as she buys yet more flats. I think current portfolio is £38 million pounds worth. How broke was David Guest... According to reports in the paper, he was addicted to fruit machines. Loads of friends, but nobody bothered with him for 48 hours. So I'm thinking maybe a lot of fair-weather friends. The dominatrix whipping up a storm. Uh, The handbag dog, set to be the most dumped in the UK. And the Charlie's Angels gang who stole thousands from shoppers. They were devious. They should have gone to prison for life. But only nine months. And all the people who got involved with these charities... And there's loads of celebrities who get involved with charities. There's never any suggestion that any celebrities have got the faintest idea what's going on with a charity. Why would they? Why would they? I could go along to a charity, and I wouldn't have the faintest idea. Who'd have thought Kids' Company was uh, was sort of so... Well, I don't know what you call them, actually, now. I don't know what you can call Kids' Company. Uh, just mismanaged, a complete, blooming disaster. And so when you look at Didier Dropper, and he got loads of people involved in his charity because he's famous. Now, whether or not they know what goes on behind the scenes, I mean, I don't think any celebrities, and I'll tell you this for a fact, I don't think they ever go to a charity event. They just go for a free meal. That's what they're going for, a free meal and a photo opportunity, and it's somebody more famous than themselves. I don't think they've got the faintest idea what goes on with the finances. So in the case of Didier Drodper, uh, Mr and Mrs Beckham, Beckham, Mr and Mrs Lampard, I mean, he literally, he attracted A-list people. Bono, uh, Donna Eyre, Mr. Cipriani, Dynamo, The Saturdays, uh, loads of other people here, uh, Roman Abramovich, and everything else, and, uh, and, There's no suggestion these people know anything at all that's going on. What they're saying here is champagne, celebs, lavish balls, all paid for by cash, meant to be going to sick children. Tomorrow they're going to tell you about the orphans exploited for publicity. And and people do. As I say, why is it that everything that we get, it's for Africa? Africa must have more money poured into it than anywhere else I've ever heard of. And still they've got the problems. Is it like it's never-ending and nobody's managed to sort it out? I mean, how much money did Live Aid raise for Africa... And they've still got the same problem that they had. It's quite, there's quite clearly, as we now know, of course, a lot of corruption going on in these countries. Wherever there's money coming in, and it's a case of children, you think the children are going to get it? No, I don't. Not in, you know, unless it's a little charity, and they're the ones that have to really struggle to get the money. Really do have to struggle to get the money. The big ones, you know, you go to hotels here, you go to uh, hotels in uh, America, and you'll find they have big fundraisers. You've seen it on the Housewives of Beverly Hills, the Housewives of Orange. County, They have balls and they go there and the idea is that they like to be seen wearing their flash frocks. The fact that none of them have ever eaten anything more than a lettuce leaf is neither here nor there. They just go there and they raise money and they see themselves as being all good. And we've, we've raised money for, for this and that. Does it solve the problem? No, I've never because if it solved the problem, we'd only have the one thing, wouldn't you? I mean, 150 million pounds was raised for Ethiopia. That's US dollars. $150 million. That's more money raised than all previous celebrity charities combined. And they've still got the same problem. They've still got the same problem. There's so much corruption that went on. And you think to yourself, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? It is just ridiculous that you don't really know what to do about it. There's always going to be charity. It's the biggest business that's doing the rounds at the moment. Twickenham High Street is full of charity shops. Little old ladies, uh, you know... Sort of seemingly doing what they think is, is right. People donate clothing, they sell it, the money goes to the charity. It's big business. It's huge business. You know, they make a lot of money, the, these charities. And how much do they have to give away? Not a lot in many cases. Not a lot. Uh, 84850 oh, steve at lbc.co.uk. A lot of you fairly interested in the fact that uh, David Guest wore makeup all the time. And uh, to be honest with you, I mean, I don't know whether I'm sort of surprised or shocked or mildly amused. I can't work out which, which bit would affect me. I mean, I'm not at all surprised he was the vainest person for somebody who was so unattractive. I nearly said the word ugly, but I thought ugly might sound a little bit cruel. But to be honest with you, he was never attractive. You no, know, a little tiny bit of piece of cotton for hair teased into this sort of football helmet. You know, his little eyebrows and little this and that, and then his pancake put on. He must have looked ghastly. He must have looked. Good. Who was it? There was somebody famous who used to wear an awful lot of makeup, and in the uh, in in the in the sun, they used to start melting because it was fashionable some years ago for for men to wear makeup. Long, long time ago. Unfortunately, of course, the problem that they had in those days is that the makeup was um, was sort of something that ate away into the skin, and that was the problem that they had. So they put makeup on, which had. Um, no, there wasn't zinc in it. I can't remember what was in it. There was something in makeup that ate into their... Like an acid that ate into their skin. And then it made their skin really bad. So to cover it up, they had to put more makeup on. And that would eat into the skin as well. So most people ended up with the most dreadful skin that you've ever seen. And it was, wasn't was zinc. What the dickens was it in makeup that sort of pockmarked the skin. And so a lot of people used to go around in those days with really... I mean, they were in a bad state anyway when they were putting makeup on. Now, of course, it's all improved and people put their makeup on and they're happy putting it on he must look pretty ropey without makeup on let me tell you because he was all ming the merciless the hair the hair that had receded so far back you might as well have combed it up from his back onto his head but uh, at the end of the day he appeared to have loads of people who claimed that they knew him people who said oh he was the most generous person people who said he was this and that and yet nobody phoned him for 48 hours so, obviously, he didn't have all these friends. They were just fair-weather friends who decided to jump on the bandwagon after he died and go, oh, yes, he was one of my best friends I knew. Like Sarah Harding, you know, the, the woman who conveniently left... You know, because she'd had the photo taken and then she'd uh, imbibed, we think, a little bit. That's what the man at the theatre said. A bit embarrassing for Sarah Harding. But there again, I thought she'd uh, I thought she maybe turned over a new leaf. I thought maybe she'd tried to find a job. I thought maybe she'd, you know, tried to sort of pull herself back together again. But it appears not so, not so. So bad publicity again all round. And then, of course, the more bad publicity these people get, who wants to employ them? Nobody. You can't trust anybody. They're just not fit for purpose. It's like that Stephanie Connell creature, whatever her name was, Stephanie Davis or somebody who went in big brother and um she'd been dropped from Hollyoaks because of let's just call it a bit of a difference between her and the management of the program and so she goes on to celebrity big brother they were delighted to get an old drunk on there and so of course she performed as per usual and now what's she doing nothing nothing there is no work for people like that they- they'll send them out to open a few sort of nightclubs it's like a lot of the cast of uh ...of Essex have all but disappeared. Joey Essex has got his money, but he's disappeared now, hasn't he? Nobody's interested. He was a silly little person to start with. Gemma Collins is still as fat as a beach hut. You know, the other ones, they have to take pictures and tweet themselves on... ...on uh, to Twitter or anything like that. They go to Dubai, they sit on holiday. But the truth of the matter is, they're actually quite lonely. Because now that they've lost the oxygen of television... ...you know, what does poor Lydia Din do? You know, she's stuck with Arge. What does he do for a living? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. It's just a bit embarrassing. Uh, Jill in Glasgow did Google the Curry House story. Yes. And um, Paul says David Guest wore makeup. Didn't work, did it? No, it didn't. <laughs> I don't know what. Perhaps he felt better putting it on. I don't know. Uh, Steve uh, we actually got a a water bill that included a letter a begging letter for clean water in Africa didn't Blue Peter fit taps years ago they did do a water project out there a lot of people did because you do believe that there are places in the world because I've done it on the programme before that do not have clean water you take it for granted don't you that you can turn on the tap and you can get water that you can drink although I personally don't drink from the tap I, I drink from bottled water but that's just me so I go out and buy a case of bottled water, and I keep it in the car, and I drink bottled water. Uh, here we have filtered water in the tap, so I drink from the, from the tap here. Because it's not, it's, not from the different, it's a separate tap that does boiling hot water or chilled ice water, and it's lovely. But I take that for granted. I take that for granted, that that, that water comes out of the tap. In some of these other countries, you've seen them on the, on the television. People have literally, they're drinking from puddles. Puddles that animals urinate in and stuff like that. And we and we don't we don't think about it, do we? <laughs> uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Apparently, the word totty gets the feminazi weeping and wailing, Steve. You see, I, you see, I think you can only use totty for men now, can't you? We decided this, that apparently women don't like to be called totty. Well, well they don't in normal life, but in the reality shows, they're delighted to be called totty because they don't know what it means. So, that they actually think it means hotty totty, which means somebody thinks they're really hot, whereas in fact, totty means tart, as we all know. And so, when you say, Oh, here's somebody, a bit, a bit of totty from Made in Chelsea, they go, Ooh, like they're all a bit excited, whereas in fact, really, you're going, yeah, I'm sorry, we've seen the programme, love. You're not really totty, we're just calling you that. I mean, the ones in, in Essex, You know, where they get these dogs from, I've got no idea. Because most of them seem to have little handbag dogs, don't they now? We never see them buying them. We just see them sort of producing them and going out for a walk. And then, of course, we saw Chloe Sims the other day from Essex. Well, the worst for wear, but she's an old woman now. must be really embarrassing going to a club and they go to somebody. Why'd you bring your grandmother? You know, and there she is, tottering out. I had a drink. Sorry? Who are you? I'm Chloe Sims. And it's just a bit embarrassing. You know, they need to... She's got a daughter... Got daughter. Halfway House is the uh, the pub. Halfway House, the pub that disappears and comes back again. I love stuff like that. I love those sort of things. On the subject of, uh, of sleeping tablets, uh, a lot of people saying I did take them for a while. I did when I first, uh, I did when I first started doing nights on LBC years ago, about thirty plus years ago, and and I took sleeping tablets. And I thought if if one little tiny tablet got you eight hours sleep, half a tablet would give you four hours doesn't work like that half a tablet gives you eight hours as well so i started taking half a tablet and i could sit there and i'd, I'd get in in the morning i'd be sort of buzzing you know wired for sound and i think i've oh, got to get some sleep so you take the tablet and uh you sort of potter about for a little bit and you have a piece of toast and, and then you think oh god i'm going I'm you could start feeling yourself going and drifting under and um it was like years ago when i had an operation when i was about 14 and I went in, they put me under general anaesthetic. And all I remember is going into the surgery and it was all bright lights. They put bright lights in round here. I can't walk under them. I'm looking so old under these lights. And um, and they filled what the syringe looked like to me with Vaseline. And they put it to my arm. Should just count to ten. I thought, stupid woman. One. Gone. Completely out. I must have been very susceptible to it. But I thought, when I went to the dentist and I had a similar injection some years ago, I thought they were trying to kill me. I seriously thought I'm being put to sleep and I'm never going to wake up again. I started to fight it. They go, no, just breathe, breathe. They put this mask over you breathe. I'm dying, I'm dying. Don't, don't kill me. And of course, you you start hallucinating. So just to worry the dentist. When eventually they brought me back round, I kept my eyes closed. I thought, uh, I'll I'll worry you, Stephen. Stephen, wake up. I thought I'm not going to open my eyes. I'm going to make you wait a bit. I'm going to make you sweat. <laughs> so I did. I made him wait five minutes before I I dared to open one eye. I thought by that time he was practically on tablets himself, and uh, and so you you do start panicking over things like that. So uh, so now we don't do any of that. All the operations I have, I go. I don't want to do general
0: anaesthetic, please. I really don't.
1: Quarter past five. Steve Allen
0: on LBC. Text eight four eight five zero.
1: Morning, Pretty Nice to be company. Are you well? Good? I only ask. You don't have to shout back into the radio. It's not one of those sort of programmes. We're not that desperate. You know, so I've heard something... Oh, please please call me. Please call me now. Not on this station, other stations. But, as I say, I've seen the audience figures, so I know where your loyalty lies. Uh, Paul says, I was the victim of a happy slapping incident. Five teenagers on bikes, one cycled up from behind me, struck me on the back of the head on the Archway Road, North London, at 5pm. Police are taking a statement. Do you think they'll take it seriously? Yes. And I believe it's well covered by uh, cameras as well. I think the Archway Road has got possibly more CCTV, so they, they might find them. It's not to, what, what they tend to do, these happy slappy gangs, and I didn't think they exist anymore, is they'll actually catch them, but then they'll go into another area and they'll, they'll still know it's them. So they'll get their, their faces in that one. So, oh yes, yeah, so of course they'll take it seriously. Absolutely. Tell them we've done it on LBC. That'll chivvy them up a little bit. <laughs> Wet and windy Brisbane. Is that what it is now? And, uh, did you hear about the couple? It says Peter, who found a lump of whale vomit on Morecambe Beach? Yes. And it's used, uh, in the cosmetic industry. This lump of, They didn't know what it was that they found. And it's whale vomit. Because whales obviously go out to the pub and get a bit tiddly and then throw up. And, uh, it's worth £50,000. It's very, very expensive. Very expensive. Uh, Kenneth says the, uh, the... The thing that was in cosmetics that ate into their skin was lead. Lead. And so they would have this white thing that they would put on and they'd smear it on and of course it was eating into their skin so their skin became quite grotesque they never bathed, bathed uh, they didn't do anything like that, they just used to cover themselves in talcum powder and all their wigs were riddled with lice so they must have. Lo- it must have looked like Black Adder at the end of the day, It really it is and uh, Steve, I take sleeping pills but they don't work too well as I'm bolt upright at four every morning I think you get your body into that, don't you? I think you actually get your body into a into a mindset because only on uh, a Saturday morning when you would think if I don't set the alarms, I would sleep all the way through. I don't. I'm up really quite early. And then what I do is, um, you know, I mean the power of the, of the spike bolt upright. That's a case of that spike really is working. It's a case of four o'clock, boing, you know, there you are. Everybody's sort of up for it, up for it at four o'clock in the morning because I don't know what's going on. But for some reason, at four o'clock in the morning, the spike gets bigger and bigger and we, we all love it. So bolt upright at four in the morning. So on the Saturday morning, when I'm supposed to be sleeping, I wake up and I think, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll watch a little bit of telly. So i watch a little bit of telly, go onto the internet, check emails, stuff like that. And then go back into bed again. And I can probably do till about five o'clock at a push. But there again, that's, that's the way my day works. When I was talking to the, my diabetic nurse the other day and she was saying, right, so what's your day like? So I said, well, you know, I'm up from one in the morning. Sometimes earlier than one in the morning, and uh, and then I'll uh, I don't have anything to eat then. I might come into here and have something to eat. So now I'm I'm going to hold it off until seven this morning. I've had a little bit of a uh, little bit of yogurt, um, which is quite nice. So I've had a little bit of that. I've got some fruit, and I shall have a sandwich, and I shall do an injection at seven o'clock this morning. And then because I go to bed so early, it's just it's a ridiculous time. Well, it doesn't seem ridiculous to me because it's by six six thirty. I'm just about fit to drop anyway. I speak to people and they go, are you are getting tired now? And I go, absolutely tired, <laughs> absolutely really tired. And I climb into bed and I'm out within seconds. Out within se- Today I've got a lunch out with, uh, with the Scottish newsreader. You remember Paul we had the other week on the programme? And uh, he's turned into, I don't want to make a big deal about it, he's turned into a bit of a stalker. And um, I stupidly gave him my phone number when he started using it. So I have to pretend that I'm not there half the time. So I I drop a message on it going, can't talk at the moment, catch you later, and then I leave it. Anyway, he kind of cornered me the other day and said, hey, let's go out for lunch. I thought, oh, God. So I'm not going to have a starter or a pudding. And if I don't have any Prosecco, we can whiz through in about 15 minutes, I thought. And uh, that way it'll be a little bit better. But I have a horrible feeling he's going to sort of pick my brains about, ooh, this and that. And, and uh, he'll be sort of saying, oh love listening to your programme, and I'll have to sit there and listen to this, you know. Which is not too bad. And then I might open the bottle of Prosecco, and then we'll, we'll sort of take it on from there. But uh, So that's that. So in fact, if I'm, I'll be eating at about lunchtime, about 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. So I won't need to eat at 6 o'clock, because that, that, that meal then will cover me. For the period, I've just got to remember to do the injections, having been to the, uh, the diabetic nurse the other day. But what are these six steps if you want to say sorry properly? You know, so just saying, uh, s- Can't say it. That s- Can't say it. Definitely can't say it. I'm really s- No, it doesn't work, does it? So if you really want to say sorry properly, first of all, you have to ask for forgiveness. A bit like going to church, isn't it? Just asking for forgiveness. Uh, you have to declare repentance you see, I don't declare repentance. Explain just what went wrong. I'm quite good at that. You know, if somebody says, Oh, I thought you said this, I go, No, no, you weren't listening properly. You know, I cannot help the is really stupid. I can only explain to you what it really was. Express regret. Yeah, that's okay sometimes. You can just say that one, though, can't you? Yeah, I'm really regretful if people misinterpreted. Uh, offer amends. Does that mean money? I don't offer money, I don't do financial remuneration. And the main one is acknowledge your responsibility. That's what they say. If you want to say sorry properly, or failing that, just ignore them and don't, don't bother. Uh, Daddy's double. Celebrity sons, the spitting image of their fathers when they were younger. And they've got uh, Jack Nicholson. Uh, Scott Eastwood. That's Clint Eastwood's uh, son. Uh, Colin. Uh, that's the son of uh, Tom Hanks. Uh, Richard Branson, his son Sam. They share the same beard and hair. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and his son, because he's grown his hair long. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me, they think he looks like his son. Uh, David Beckham and Brooklyn. Not really. Brooklyn actually was sort of quite good-looking as a kid. He's now sort of morphing into something that's really a bit bit, uh, bit naff. Uh, Brian Ferry, with his son Otis, named after a lift company. Uh, Paul McCartney uh, and his son James... And uh, Jude Law and his son, Rafferty. But the funniest one is uh, old Gary can't hang on to the wife, Lineker, and uh, his lookalike son, George, with the same sticky-out ears. That's George who used to try and, you know, get girls out of nightclubs and stuff like that. So hilarious. Bless his heart, honestly. Always trying desperately to be famous, but not quite making it unless he mentioned his father. What's your name, love? Uh George Lineker. Oh, oh right. Who, who's your dad? Uh, Gary Lineker. OK. Uh, he's still got to pay to come in. All right. <laughs> The Charlie's Angels gang, stealing thousands, here they are. And what they did, they went out, and they're they're, they're uglies, uglies. Uh, they're Bosnian, Uh, one is called Ivana Ramic, the other one is Salda Isovic, and there's the one that they're missing, (coughs) they would follow people into stores, and they would target them, and then they would nip into the lift, or the change room, change their outfits, so when they came out, they looked completely different. And... um, they're just thieves. That's what they are. They thieve. They come from uh, their country to here. Uh, one of them disappeared off, skipping bail. But luckily they've been found and sent to prison, which is fantastic. Uh, one is uh, was granted bail and uh, then left the UK. They're trying to trace the third woman, who sadly has never been identified. But don't worry, they'll find her eventually. A uh, sophisticated theft, but in the end they got caught. So nine months in prison, rot in hell. Rot in hell. Goes on all the time. Walk down Oxford Street, you can watch pickpockets operating almost on a, an hourly basis. It's dreadful, really, isn't it? Excuse me by having a quick slip. Because it's that time of the morning. You know, some of you are probably having breakfast and, you know, tea and toast. It's always tea and toast, isn't it? Mmm. Mm. I got a craving the other day for wheatabix. Don't ask me why. I haven't had wheat. I used to have Weetabix with butter on it. Have you ever heard of that? And to make it really taste like coconut matting, wheatabix with butter and peanut butter on it. It's like can't eat anything because it's just like jams your mouth up quite delicious though i thought and then somebody said that they do a weetabix in like a a little plastic thing because because the, the doctor said why don't you go for porridge in the morning and so i might do it oh crispy minis you see chocolate chip and i mean you can't have chocolate chip i know it's but that's that's just out to lot. i mean how much fat is in there how much fat is in that one that's quite a lot it really is. They, they, they befuddle you with things like carbohydrates, of which sugars, fibre, protein, salt, thiamine, riboflavin, niacin, folic acid, iron, fat. You know, and so it goes through. You're none the wiser at what it is. I'm telling you now, it's bad for you. Even rice cakes. I was talking to Dan, the barista downstairs, and he sells rice cakes. And they're very popular because people think they're rice cakes. There's no, no calories. 85 calories per biscuit. And there's three in a pack. Three of these bi- And he said to me, that's 240 calories. See, I think w- that we-, we should do frozen yoghurt downstairs. Because I love frozen yoghurt. When I was training in a gym, ha, 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 thank you. I uh, I used to have frozen yoghurt because I used to think, yoghurt is v- is very good for you. That's what I used to think. And so I've got this, this yoghurt drink here. And it's mango lassi. And <laughs> that's probably a joke there somewhere. And it's a delicious and smooth, Asian-inspired yoghurt drink made with luscious Alfonso mangoes, perfect for drinking any time of day or in the calm of the evening. Woo! how posh am I in Twickenham? How posh am I? And then it tells you that it's got low-fat yoghurt, milk, mango compote, Alfonso mango puree, and that's 4.2%. The rest of it's made up with all sorts of it. Only 4.2%, but it tastes delicious. And I bought it in Morrison's. And it's, I I really quite like it, actually. Oh, just realised it's expired. Oh, God, it's expired. Oh, no, third of the fifth. Thank God for that. Thought I'm. Um, I can't bear the idea that I might be eating something that's out of date. I might, you know, I'm always panicking. I might just drop dead. Not so good, is it? Not so good. Uh, a lot of you talking about uh, David Guest and also guessing, as indeed I have, that he's going to die broke. I think the only money he got coming in was uh, money from the reality shows. And he hasn't done one of those for a, for a while. Uh, Jim says, in India last week, listening to at 9am brushing my teeth, which was usually my... 4am. Yes, I like the brushing of the teeth thing. I think that's a very good one. And uh, another one here. Uh, the spike is even bigger, says Anna, because I'm listening. <laughs> uh, John McCabe in South London said, whatever you do, don't take a sleeping pill the same time as you take a laxative pill. Yes. <laughs> and uh, apparently uh, fans will tell you, many football fans, that Didier Drogba was famous for diving while at Chelsea. I don't even know what that means, you see. Luckily, I know nothing about football. That doesn't mean... What does that mean? Does that mean sort of something to do with a penalty or something? Falling over. Oh, and pretend you were... Fa- oh, right. Okay. He doesn't play for Chelsea now, does he? <laughs> does anybody? Uh, the League of Nations here, Steve. Oh, no, that's not very interesting. Uh, Charlie says, I always thought James O'Brien could have passed for David Guest, a, a doppelganger. You think so? You really think so? Um... Oh, no, he doesn't look at all like him. No, David Guest was clean-shaven. You know, the the boy O'Brien has got a little beard growing, which, you know, which is good. Uh, one here, and... Um, oh, I was supposed to be finding out something the other day. What was I supposed to be finding out? I was supposed to be finding out something for Tony Paledry, actually. Was it about Underground London? I'm sure it was. It was something like that. Or was that for somebody else? I can't remember. Very smart Tony Paledry was looking the other day, I thought. Very smart. Very, very smart. It was very good, actually. Loads of people turned up for, uh, for Dynamo. It was, uh, it was nice. It was really very good. And uh, everybody had a, a nice time. Uh, Grace says, I don't get eight hours sleep even with two sleeping pills. Do you think it's the body clock? Do you think it's the body I mean, I don't know. I'm just having a look at David Guest. Yeah, you're right, he wears me. My- I'm looking at a picture of James O'Brien. God, he doesn't look like this now. This was taken years ago. Is he still using that picture? That was taken about the same time that my one was taken. If you went round the back of me, you'd see that the jacket was all pegged up and everything else to make me look attractive. Now David Guest is wearing make. Oh, wait a minute, O'Brien's wearing makeup. That hair looks quite good on him, there, doesn't it? Now he looks like Stig of the Dump at the moment. All the Life and Times of Grizzly Adams. There's a there. And uh, and you look at David Guest. He just looks that's so good. David Guest has got a beard as well, but David Guest just looks peculiar very peculiar the americans are very big at embalming you know that and and you you can be embalmed in america after you've uh, preferably when you've passed on and they put makeup on you to make you look as though you know you look healthy kind of defeats the object doesn't it really they've died and now they look healthy oh and people say oh they look just like they did when they were alive and so you expect them to come to life but of course they don't but uh, david guest who will go to the funeral who will organise the funeral? I mean, who are his friends? That's what I want to know. Is anybody going to be organising the funeral? Has he got family? Is there, is there a guest mummy and daddy somewhere? Is there brothers and so- We don't know anything,
0: do we? You know nothing. It's like you know nothing about... Oh, I missed the thing. Nothing about Nancy. Nick Ferrari at breakfast. Every weekday morning from seven. Only on LBC.
1: And with Nick Ferrari at breakfast this morning. We're just three weeks to go until Londoners head to the ballot boxes to vote for the next mayor. Does the capital deserve a need a personality Politician. I think they've all got to have a personality, haven't they? Otherwise they, they, they become a little bit bland, so we like a bit of personality. Well, I think we do anyway. A server, except over in Australia, where, as you heard, they've just ditched that Darren, whatever his face was. There's a story behind him, isn't there? What do they call him now? That, uh, that bloke he used to pitch up on the television here and uh, used to run a photo agency. He was a real old show-off. Darren Lyons, he's been sacked as mayor. He was known as Mr Paparazzi, only by himself, I think. And uh, for some reason, he had a he had a company here, which he then closed down very quickly and scooted off back to uh, to Australia. But he used to turn up all the time. I mean, he really was a nice peculiar person. Elected mayor of a place called keylong he'd also been on Celebrity Big Brother and he revealed that a surgeon had body sculpted his six pack through a surgical procedure. He was just a silly little show off really, I mean a silly, silly little show off big pictures that 's right went into administration in the u k funny that isn 't it but anyway' so, so successful too, so successful, you never understand how that works. Anyway, a survey revealing what British Muslims really think aired on television last night. We'll be with a Muslim family to get their reaction to the documentary. The man responsible for making sure our schools are up to scratch, Ofsted's Chief Inspector Sir Michael Wilshaw, will take your calls. And the Times columnist Hugo Rifkind will take a look through this morning's papers. That's Nick and the team at breakfast from seven after the morning news with Lisa Aziz. Uh, what else do we have here? Um, da da Oh, this was the the love cheat star trying to gag Google now. It's getting really silly, isn't it? It's getting very silly. I don't really care, actually, either way. I'm really not that bothered. Also, the 40,000 protesting at the threat to the free weekly park run. Biggest mistake they've ever made. They've now cancelled it. They've now cancelled the run. Not so good. Uh, Revealed at last the bizarre truth about OJ and a trial that murdered justice. And a woman who says that uh, she can't get stylish shoes for her size 11 feet, so she's made her own. Which is... uh, It's okay actually. You can't get size 11 shoes. Wow. Very odd, isn't it? And a a lovely napkin's just gone for sale. Uh, It's gone for £10,000. Well, they say it could fetch £10,000. It's... um, The reason it could go is because L.S. Lowry doodled on it while sitting in a cafe. Uh, The artist was visiting the Welsh mining town Nelson in 1961 to paint industrial landscapes. And inspiration struck, and so he, he jotted this down... Uh, he was then seventy-four. Drew his familiar matchstick figures and a dog in front of the uh, the court. Folded up the sketch, put it in his pocket, headed home to Lancashire. Later, gave it to a friend. There's no evidence that it ever became a painting. Now it's going to be sold at auction, and they say it could go for ten thousand. Wow, it's not bad, is it, for a little doodle? I like the idea of a little doodle, ladies and gentlemen. Who's this? What's that? A picture of picture of um God, nobody. Oh, here we go. Uh, Prince's pals, aunt and check are raking in £19,500 a day. Uh, they presented uh, Britain's Got Talent, Ant & Dec Saturday Night Takeaway, and newly published accounts reveal that they jointly rake in twenty grand a day, more than most Premier League footballers. But it's Ant & Dec, isn't it? I love the way they go, the Prince's pals. Didn't they just pick up the phone and go, Charles, Ant? And sorry, Charles isn't here at the moment. Can I help you? You know, doesn't he want to talk to us? I thought we were his chums. No, only a photo opportunity, loves. Photo. Uh, And uh, still dragging out her five seconds of boredom. Yes, Lady Colin Campbell. Very odd. In fact, I thought she disappeared completely. Uh, But apparently there's going to be a a new reality TV show. I've got no idea why. I mean, the old woman is 66, but looks about 19 years older than that. And so she's, um, they say, uh, she's going to have a ball at her historic castle, which is falling down. It needs about £2 million worth of work. Um, she bought it for 750000 She's just opened it up as a wedding venue. In other words, you know, the falling-down wedding venue. Guess that my ball goes Lady Colin, who's living in so-do-lally land... Uh, will be expected to dress properly. I'm sorry, dear, they don't do that in high society anymore. They might have done when you were a child, but it's moved on quite a pace. Uh, And she says, tiaras are positively encouraged. And no, of course, they won't be charged. And it's a party to celebrate the Jersey Boys' eighth anniversary. Oh, no, sorry, she told them out there, because they're going, I'm sorry, old woman, are you still around? Yes, I am going to have a party at my house. Oh, right, for what? Well, we need, well, well, raid some money, I suppose. It's for a reality show. And if she doesn't do anything else in life, you know, you might as well get that. Her and her peculiar son, who turned up over in Australia, didn't he, and started defending his mother. Whereas anybody in the business will tell you she was certified mad as a fruitcake years ago. <laughs> Absolutely years ago. Uh, what are the, uh, the Daily Star? Yes, yes, yes! Sorry, Minister. Uh, this is the, uh, the story about the Dominatrix. And John Whittingdale, who admitted having a relationship with a dungeon dwelling dominatrix, and they've got pictures. I'm assuming it's her. Uh, he met her on a dating website, but claimed he didn't know she was a sex worker. You don't think maybe the outfits would have kind of given it away? You know, I don't know many people you meet on a dating site who turn up in a basque, carrying a whip, and wearing thigh length boots. You know, with a little peekaboo bra. I mean, how many people, you know, I'm sorry, I, um, a, little bit, uh, a little bit different from the picture you put up on the dating website. Uh, yes, but I, uh, how do you fancy this, eh? <coughs> what do you reckon on that one? And uh, so anyway, he goes out with her for seven months and, uh, and there's loads of pictures of her in her dungeon. I'm assuming this must be her. Here she is. They, they say here, Raunchy, the MP's lover in C D dominatrix pictures. Yeah, but people are into dominatrix, they don't think this is seedy at all. You can go into any Anne Summers shop and buy this. It's not seedy. What are the papers saying, especially the Daily Star? Are you telling us that all that stuff in the Anne Summers shop is seedy? I hope not. Yeah, there's people want... I mean, I personally haven't been in one of these shops, as you can well imagine. I look ridiculous in a Basque. But uh, the very idea that they call this seedy, and yet the Daily Star perpetuates the myth that this is what their readers want to see. They want to see people dress like this. She'll be on a reality show by the time we get halfway to Christmas. And uh, so she went out with him, but of course they've sort of... And, and the moment he discovers she's uh, she's a sex worker, he then ditches her. And he also then discovers at the same time that four newspapers knew all about the story because somebody's trying to sell it. Who would sell a story about a minister who's above the age of consent going out with somebody who happens to be a sex worker? What's what's the interest? Is it because she's seedy? Is that what it comes down to? Because, believe you me, the Daily Star needs to close down immediately. What a bunch of hypocrites. They spend most of their life printing pictures of half-naked women. In fact, they've got one on their paper today. And here she is. She blows hot and cold. She comes from Presswood in Buckinghamshire. And her name is Felicity. Felicity's actually showing you her boobs. So, that's a bit seedy, isn't it, Daily Star? Or is that OK because she's not been out with a minister? Does that make any difference? I mean, I bet there's a few journos on the paper who wouldn't mind going out with old Felicity, eh? Because she comes from up in the country. And uh, she apparently... Uh, Because she blows hot and cold, she loves shaking her booty to steamy Latin music. Seedy old bag. Ridiculous, isn't it? I'm surprised the Daily Star haven't blue-penciled her boobs so we don't have to look at things like that. Ridiculous. Uh, Bono. I always love the pronouncements of Bono. He walked through this building once and I have to be honest, everybody turned around and looked at him because he wears the, the famous dark glasses inside as well as out. And he wants comedians to join the war against the evil Islamic State. He thinks the brutal terror network can be defeated using humour. What? What, uh, just about to push this gay man off a building. Have you heard the one about the two gays? You know, where is he coming from? He thinks Sasha Baron Cohen could lead the assault. And he thinks that Amy Schumer and Chris Rock should go to battle in the war on terror. Is he completely mad? Are you? I mean, I don't know where he was coming from. Actually, Bono has urged U.S. politicians to act swiftly to support Syrian refugees. These, you know, these pop stars—they're sometimes as mad as fruitcakes, aren't they? They sort of, you know, I dominate the world. I couldn't, I couldn't sing a Bono hit or a U2 hit if you put me on the spot and offered me a million pounds. I would have the faintest idea. I know they had an album called "The Joshua Tree," but I couldn't sing you any of the songs from it, or would want to. But now he thinks he's sort of a speaker for world peace and everything else. So the answer is, get Sasha Baron Cohen, Chris Rock and Amy Schumer to go out there and tell jokes to people who are about to behead people or or hang them or crucify them and then blow their heads off. Fantastic. What a wonderful idea. I tell you what, Bono, we'll give you some jokes and we'll drop you off in the middle. OK? How do you feel about that? Book yourself into a club, OK? See how long you last. <sighs> You do worry, don't you? sometimes, uh, Do you think they actually engage their, their brain before they open their mouths? I don't think they do, actually. Perhaps he'd had a drink in a bar and he was going, I tell you what... I'm sorry, I can't do the accent. I'm not allowed to do Irish accents. I can do everybody else's accent except Irish, even though I was born on St Patrick's Day. And, um, and then he says, let's send comedians out there. Let's send Sacha Baron Cohen. I'm hoping... That he's sending him out there for comedy reasons, as opposed to the reason that his last film died on its proverbial. And he's decided that if you really want to get rid of people out there, play them the film. Play play them the film. In fact, play them anything by Sasha Baron Cohen. They'll be fleeing for the hills, I promise you, Bono. Don't play us any more of that. Scary man. Very scary man. Uh, Kate and William... Uh, the first time they've actually been away, and they haven't got dreary Uncle Harry trailing on behind them. So they're feeding uh, elephants and feeding rhinoceroses. Not not the big ones, uh, but very nice indeed. They say this, um, this trip that they're on at the moment, uh, the average traveller, it would cost £24,000 to replicate. Do you think they're paying for it? No, of course they're not. It's just a photo opportunity, isn't it? And uh, travel experts have put a whopping price tag on the Royal's Eastern jaunt. Uh, the total from uh, a travel called Undun travel it includes first class return flights inland travel, luxury accommodation across the country it does feature the special experiences that have helped the couple see the real Indian not mentioned in the brochures they've, uh, they've met slum children tarted up for the occasion I thought actually, nice to see such clean slum children uh, watch cricket matches, amazing isn't it it's so difficult, imagine going to India and watching a cricket match <gasps> can't believe it honestly it's so exciting, where else could you see that so hidden in the rest of the world and also, they've been to New Delhi's sacred sites. No! All the secret things that we never get to hear about. And they've been to Bhutan. Been to Bhutan. I did a book on Bhutan about 30 years ago. It's the it's the, the hillside kingdom of Bhutan. It's lovely. But I'll tell you what, let them live there for a while. Take away all their makeup and hairdressers and clothing. Although I don't think he's actually bothered with any of that. And uh, also there's a hands-on safari tour and a sanctuary session which would have cost a pretty penny. So, so you want to feed an elephant? thousand. Give us a thousand. Give us the money. You can keep elephants going for ages. They just drink loads of milk, the baby elephants. And uh, the little rhinoceroses are lovely until they get too big and then they just fall on you. And that's you gone completely. But of course it's a photo opportunity and it's lovely. Perhaps they'll bring one back for George to play with. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? We brought you an elephant back. The Corrie Pals to turn out for, uh, for David Guest. This will be very interesting because somewhere in the dark recesses of my mind, I see a man who is alienated from his family. I don't know why. I don't know why I've said that. I can't think of any other reason. It's just that every time I've seen David Guest being interviewed, he never once mentions his family. All he talks about is his celebrity friends. I think he lived in a in a little bit of a mystical entertainment kind of world. And he hung around with people because they went, oh, God, you were married to Liza Minnelli and you knew Frank Sinatra and lots of... I don't believe he knew Frank Sinatra. I don't believe he knew any of these people. He was just another producer. Simple as that. I don't think there was anything particularly special about him. Liza Minnelli hated him. Hated him. He hated her. They both bullied each other. I mean, but she was Liza Minnelli and he was... David who? And so now they're going, oh, apparently Kim Marsh, any opportunity, eh, Kim? Open the fridge, 20 minutes, thank you. Close the fridge door. And, oh, look, opening an envelope. Kim Marsh again. And you think to yourself, so she's jumping on the bandwagon, the poor David is gone. But nobody phoned him for 48 hours. Not 24 hours, 48 hours. There's also Tiffany Pollard, who paid tribute to him after removing a T-shirt with the slogan, David is dead. Yes. They had to tell her, though, that he really was dead this time before she removed it. As I say, Tiffany who? Oh, Tiffany apparently has been on a reality show in America and she did one over here. And she wasn't particularly bright. A lot of screaming and shouting and showing off. A little bit dreary. Uh, what else do we have in the papers today? Oh, some really
0: good stories. I'll tell you them in a moment. 14 to 6. Leading Britain's conversation. Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Welcome to Thursday, everybody. It's the
1: 14th of April. I told you this month is rocketing through. April... May. So when are we going to go May, June, July, August, September, October, November? Christmas! That's only eight months away. Is it eight months? Yeah. Eight months. That's not very long, is it? It's going to... Listen, we're into April already. I'm expecting Phil Vickery to start doing, you know, let's make a Christmas cake. Because, you know, you should be thinking about these things fairly early. I mean, there are only... I mean, come on, count them now. 254... 254 days to Christmas, and if you look at the clock, so we're doing 18 hours, I think, 17, 17 hours, no, 18 hours, And, and about 10 minutes and 58 seconds, approximately, so about 250 something days and 18 hours, until Christmas, have you thought about it? Order the tree, check the lights, do not get to the, you know, to the beginning of December and then start checking the thing, don't worry about the hanging baskets at the moment, they'll have to wait, start worrying about Christmas, have you done a list? Have you checked it twice? Going to find out who's naughty or nice? Santa Claus is definitely coming to town. I mean, Phil Vickery did a mince pie tasting four weeks ago. I mean, you've got to make sure you've got this, you know, in in place. My mother would be making her her Christmas cake and then sort of leaving it. Liberally dousing it with booze. I mean, our, our Christmases were so alcoholic. Seriously, I mean, how I ever got through childhood without becoming certified and put in a home for alcoholic children? I've got no idea. But that uh, we, we we did used to have alcohol. Luckily, and being totally truthful, I didn't drink till I was eighteen. I really the only booze that I had was in our sherry trifle, and that was and that was fairly alcoholic. I quite like the sherry. I do like a sherry trifle. I, do. I don't I do have them very often. The only one I buy is Marks & Spencer's. Other ones are available. And, uh, and they do one at Christmas. They, and they call it a luxury sherry trifle as opposed to the naff ones I do the rest of the year. But uh, I do like that. Sometimes I add a bit of my own booze, you know, just to make it interesting. And I can, if I put my mind to it, and I think about it very carefully. I can eat a whole sherry trifle, but I'm good. And because, just in case you think I'm going to be really bad, I scrape the cream off. It kind of defeats the object, but I scrape the cream off the top and I scrape the custard off as well. I leave a little bit of custard. So I just end up with a bit of jelly, the fruit and the, uh, and the sponge <laughs> fingers at the bottom. It's a sad life, isn't it, really? But I'm thinking about Christmas. You know, I don't, I don't want people, you know, I mean, start, start writing in to me now if you want my Christmas list for this year. I want to make sure I'm going to get some decent presents I got really good presents last year. Better presents for my birthday, though. That was very good. I was very happy with the birthday presents. Just please this year. No more glitter cards. Seriously, I spend weeks trying to get glitter out of every orifice. It's an absolute nightmare. I open up a card and I go, oh, no, it's a glitter card again. I'm sure that some people just send it deliberately. But, you know, secretly, actually, I'm I'm just quite pleased that people bother to send a card, which is nice. Erm... so every day for about the last three, uh, yeah, about a week on the t- on the uh, on the television, we've seen a man on there, and his name is what is it now? What is his name? It's Adrian Shine. Adrian Shine is Scottish, and he looks Scottish, and he looks like he wears Wellington boots and probably a kilt, and he's on the lockout for Nessie. I'm looking for Nessie. I am looking for Nessie. He's been looking for Nessie. Since God knows how long. And so now they've got a robot submarine which will begin to trawl for the legendary monster. Let me just explain to you. I'm, I'm sorry, Adrian, to burst your little Scottish bubble. It does not exist. There is no trench down the middle of Loch Ness where Nessie is hiding. The uh, picture that they got the other day is a, a Nessie that they used for a film. And it was so poor that they, it sank. And they decided to leave it there. And so, of course, when, when they get an actual picture, they go, we've found Nessie. And they get so excited about the whole thing. All the Scottish people rise up as one. We've found Nessie. And it turns out that it isn't. But never let it spoil a good story. So he's going to go uh, with this robot sub. And they're going to trawl for the legendary monster. Let me predict now. Look, do you want to go and put a million pounds on it? They're not going to find it. Because it does not exist. Neither does the Tooth Fairy... But I'm totally behind the fact that Father Christmas is living inside the Arctic Circle. I'm not daft enough to destroy that myth, thank you very much indeed. But the Loch Ness Monster, it's not in the Thames, it's not in Loch Ness. If anything, it's residing in that cavity between the ears of Adrian Shine. That huge, vast cavity that has got Nessie swimming around and swimming around. And he's so indoctrinated and he's so, he's so excited over the fact that people have actually interviewed him, whereas the locals have written him off as that lunatic by the side of Loch Ness. That he's uh, he's taken on a hold it. I I saw Nessie one night. She came out of the water and she looked at me with those beady little eyes, and then she sunk beneath the waves. And we all go, "You've been drinking, haven't you?" Yeah, I said it a bit Welsh there. Actually, I think there's a bit of Welsh in him. I'm totally convinced. Actually, looking at him, I think there could be a bit of Welsh there. So they're going to trawl now because they go. The reason that they can't find Nessie is because the lock is so so dark down there, and it's silt, it's silt at the bottom. And very Welsh. Very Welsh. A lot of, lot of Welsh silt down there. And, so they, and th- so they can't actually find it because it's probably hiding. It's got a little radar, a little peekaboo thing and it sort of looks up and he goes, hello, oh God, people down here looking for me and ducks its head down again. How oh, this thing breeds or eats, I've got no idea. There's no fish, are there? I don't think there's any fish in Loch Ness. It's too, I think there's a reason. It's because it's too silty. And there's nothing for the poor little blighters to eat down there. And then, I mean, if, if Nessie is there, what, what's Nessie going to be eating? Vegetation? I don't think so. It's all rotting vegetation down there. So this is a creature that doesn't need to breathe. Because it doesn't exist. OK? Not to ruin it. It's a 60... I think it's a £60 million industry per year. A spokesman says, uh, the head of tourism, Malcolm Roughhead probably aptly named, I should imagine, Uh, because, I know, we nipped last night, a bit of a rough head this morning. And and he said here, there will always be a sense of mystery and the unknown about what really lies beneath Loch Ness. Water! Water lies beneath Loch Ness. And silt, and lots of silt over the years. Nothing else, Okay, You've been out there, it's been going on for years now. Why don't you just stop telling fibs and tell the truth? Can't bet. My mother always said, you know, stop telling fibs, and that's all they do, isn't it? Uh, Saturday night, top of the league for sex, apparently. This is uh, frisky couples are most likely to have sex before match of the day. did not think anybody was watching match of the day. What, with old Juggies? Who's watching that? Come on. People don't... They don't seriously do the Saturday night sex thing, do they? I don't think they do. I'm pretty certain. Apparently, um, Saturday night at 10.24 has been... F- well I'm fast asleep, I'm not surprised I keep missing everything. Ten twenty four, I'm in bed. I mean that's after Lucy Beresford's show when I should imagine a lot of people. I was talking to my boss about that the other day. I tell you, between the two of us, we're learning loads. Seriously. He's from Middlesbrough. He's never heard this stuff before. I mean even I'm fairly shocked by some if you don't if you don't believe me. Tune into the sex show. I mean, I, I don't like to sort of obviously, you know. You have to listen. If you're an adult, you have to have the curtains drawn and the double lock on the door. Don't sort of don't don't leave the door open. The neighbours will be in there trying to listen to it. It's unbelievable. Some of the what was she talking about the other day? Have you had a threesome? Have you had a threesome? My milkman has thrown himself off the float. Seriously, have you? Had, there's no celebrities phoned in. Not funny that! I was expecting at least a few people to phone up. I just couldn't listen. I said, listen, I'm too embarrassed to listen to this sort of thing. Because everybody else seems to be doing it, except me. I'm the one who sits in with sort of a yoghurt and goes, should I finish the jigsaw? No, I'll go to bed. And so I go to bed. Teddy sits there, you know, on the edge of the bed, immobile, as per usual, because I've super glued him to the head of the bed now. And uh, it's, oh, I tell you, it's racy-pacy stuff. Racy-pacy. But it goes to prove, doesn't it, that we're all fascinated by the SEX kind of thing. Uh, Mainly because we're either too old for it or we can't be bothered who can be bothered anymore i think you get to a certain age and you go no let's just have something to eat shall we And they go yes yeah, have something to eat Should we go home yes yeah, go home let's open a bottle of prosecco watch a bit of telly and go to bed i don't think at ten i'm going to be going i'm going to go and put my negligee on now brace yourself you know it's not going to happen is it mind you i do know a presenter in this building who sometimes comes in in their pajamas in their pyjamas. They wear it. I mean, I don't want to name names. I think it's, it would be wrong of me to do things like that. I'd be betraying a confidence. Uh, what have we got here? Oh, we've got Dermato Dreary. Having uh, thought that we got rid of him off the uh, off the X Factor, um, they've done a, a pilot show uh, for this Friday night at the Trattatoria. And it's another one. It's a ghastly combination. It's got the word kiss of death written all over it. It's... Um, uh, oh, oh! the ITV have ditched the plans. Oh, thank God for that. They did a pilot, and the idea was, I think it had uh, Gino De Campo as a sidekick. Well, I mean, he's passed his sell-by date ages ago. Campo de Gino, really, it, it's gone way, way past it. And and it's a case of... This was going to be set in a in a restaurant with guests coming in and cook it. What a boring thing. And, you know, of an evening time. I mean, Dermot O'Dreary doesn't rate. Gino de Campo, I think we've had quite enough of. Seriously, I mean, quite enough. I don't want to be rude about him, but uh, quite enough of him. I quite like the idea, though, that um, uh, when I was cooking in a hotel on Valentine's Day, we always had a few threes, <laughs> says Phil Vickery. <laughs> Is the f- are the photos small video something like that I like to know about these things I seriously do. I've suddenly realised I'm quite naive in a sort of in a strange bizarre my age kind of profile way but uh, but listening to things, you see, as I say, when I was younger, all we got was Anna Rayburn. And then I met Anna Rayburn, and she's not like that at all. We didn't sort of say rude words. I think I said bottom once, and we both collapsed in laughter. And that was about as far as it got. Uh, coming up very shortly, it'll be the news at uh, six o'clock. So uh, the, the the David Guest story rumbles on. It's, it's now a case of, is there family? Uh, are there brothers? Are there sisters? Who's going to be paying for it? Does he have any money? And which celebrity... Look at me, look at me, look at me... going to be there. I think Jeremy Kyle knew him. He did that on the programme the other day. He was talking to some bloke who cheated on his girlfriend as indeed they all do on the programme. And I think the girl had slept with about half of Chelmsford or something. Anyway, whatever it was, she was sort of there and then he talks at the end after the bloke suddenly realises that the girl he's going to marry has been around the block more than a few times. I feel like Lucy Beresford. And uh, I'm not solving people's problems. And he did that usual trick. Look at me. Look at me. And you think to yourself, why are these so-called big butch blokes wanting to look at him? You know, you'd want to fell him to the ground, wouldn't you? Don't shout at me, matey. Don't shout at me. Just because I can't keep my relationship together any better than you can. The Syrian refugees are going to cost us 589000000 million. Can't help feeling it's an awful lot of money. Uh, Now battle for Britain begins. The crusade to quit the EU takes a huge leap forward. Uh, the Duchess of Cambridge feeding a baby elephant. Not the most riveting picture I've ever seen. And uh, the weekend of shivers. The north wind is blowing in. Wrap up warm,
0: kiddos. You're going to freeze this weekend. Here's the news. Leading Britain's conversation. This is LBC with Steve Allen. Text 84850. Tweet at LBC
1: morning, everybody. Thursday, 14th of April. Oh, it's going to be miserable today, isn't it? It's going to be miserable. We're going to have rain. The weekend, it's going to be cold. We've got to get the jumpers out again. And we're all going to be going, oh, goodness me. Is summer going to be here? Mind you, I'm not that bothered. To be honest with you, I know I complain about the rain. It's only because I think to myself, am I going to get wet? And I think, no, I've got an umbrella. That's okay. Two interviews today. For In Conversation uh, Coming up very shortly And this weekend as you know We're going to run In Conversation On Saturday morning As well as Sunday evening So Saturday morning Best of Steve Allen Between 5 and 6 6 till 7 In Conversation Which is then repeated On the Sunday night Between 9 and 10 And uh, this weekend It's a cracker It's Don Cheadle and, uh, John Favreau as well, from Jungle Book. Did I mention Jungle Book? I love the way I was listening, actually, earlier to somebody else, and they, they sort of describe it as live action meets CGI. When you see the film, everything is CGI'd, except the kid. Every single thing on there. It's the most amazing thing you'll ever see. It's so clever. Every hair on the wolves, you see. Every wrinkle on the elephant's skin, you see. Every single... It's just, you know, when the kid runs... You don't know how they manage it. Watch a behind-the-scenes thing, which I think you can probably find on, on YouTube. And you see the kid running through the, through the grass, parting it with his hands. And you just realise that he's so clever. He's doing this with nothing. When you see it being done in the studio, he's doing nothing. That's all put on afterwards. When he's going down the river, and he's on Baloo's tummy as they float down the river... And the water—the water, the water looks real. You could touch the water. Go see it in 3D, though. It was made in 3D. They filmed in 3D. You have to see it in 3D. Not really suitable, as uh, John Favreau will tell me on Saturday morning. It's not really suitable for under sevens. He doesn't think so. He doesn't think so. Somebody wrote in earlier on and said they've got a four-year-old. I think that might be a bit. I mean, it's—it's it's scared because it's so loud. And because it's done in Dolby. I mean, it's 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 amazing. It really is absolutely amazing. Uh, Joyce says, uh, Morning, Steve. My friends and I are saving the penny a day. It's good working it out. Uh, Steve, if they find Nessie, men with guns will want to shoot it. Then, well, they are never... I mean, we'll sit here till hell freezes over, I think. And Peter in Cheshire, very cruel, says, Will you please give up on the accents? You've nearly made me crash. I thought they were quite good, actually. I thought they were quite good. Um, ITV showed a show called River Monsters, which showed a monster in Loch Ness. Yes, of course. La, 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 la. <laughs> I don't believe a word of it. But this thing's got to come up for air, hasn't it? Goodness sake. I mean, honestly. And um, another one here. People talking about the, uh, the mango juice. Is it bad for diabetics? There's only about 4% in there. It's only about four percent in there everything's bad for diabetics there 's nothing we can really enjoy uh, at all, even though we sort of, we, we do go there and now i 've been sort of reassigned, as they say, so we 'll we'll be doing things differently this morning then i 'll have to go home and start um, start making sure that I can, uh, I can start taking my blood again. I hate having to take my blood it 's really. Ghastly, and uh, Steve, you spent ages said Gary getting glitter out of every orifice. It's the yes, it's um, it's this little glitter. Not years ago, it was big glitter on card. Little glitter, and uh, it made a big difference to the breakfast show. Piers Morgan says Jeff uh, with uh, with Susanna Reid, open, forthright, and not scared to be directed any interviews. Um, he shares a lot of qualities like me. I mean, he he listens to this bro. They all listen to this programme, and they're going in. That's what they do, actually, nowadays. I mean, if I listed every single celebrity that listened to this programme, we'd be here till till Christmas time, which, as you now know, is not too far away. Um, astonishing, seeing the documentary, says Manuel and Lorraine, about what Muslims think about us. And uh, I didn't... Uh, it was interesting. There are 85 Sharia councils... In the UK, they even interviewed a Sharia law judge. Is it really happening in Britain? Well, listen to Nick Ferrari this morning. He's going to be talking to a Muslim family but what they thought about it. It's, this, it's, it's very worrying that we seem to have a two-tier system. We seem to have Sharia courts, which seem to, you know, put out all sorts of things. And then we've got the British court system. I wasn't aware that we were... Perhaps I'll set my own up and go, I'm sorry, I'm not dealing anything with you. I'm only dealing with, uh, with the Steve Allen cases, OK? We're not going to deal with anything else at all. I'm not even going to discuss it. Okay, and just wait and see if they if they get round to anything on that one. I think it's unlikely. I think it's unlikely, but we seem to be sort of fairly scared. I do, oh, that's that's obviously the way that people do it. I'm sorry, this is Britain. This is Britain. Let's wait, let's wait and see what, what Nick Ferrari thinks. Uh, some of the stories in the papers today, apart from the Cambridge, is still on their their free sorry the freebie holiday. Sorry, not not freebie holiday. Well, it is freebie, and uh, twenty four thousand pound a person, so nearly a fifty thousand pound holiday. And they haven't exactly said much on it. They've just sort of been pictured at at photo opportunities, which is great. That's lovely. And what a carry on! Do you know it's nearly sixty years since the first carry-on film was made, yet they remain as popular as ever. Not for the uh, the cast, who don't get but a penny piece from them. There's a new book out, and um, they've got all sorts of uh, of memories from people in here. Uh, Eight million viewers watched Carry-On Christmas in 1969. For Carry-On Sergeant, Kenneth Williams got £800. The wardrobe bill for Carry-On Nurse was £475. If you wanted to make a carry-on film at today's prices, it would cost you just under a Million. Just under a million. Uh, Carry On at Your Convenience took more than five years to make its money back. Uh, Norman Huddis, who died in February, age 93, wrote the first six Carry On films. Carry On Regardless in 1960 was the least favourite of all the films he wrote. Isn't it funny? That's the one I liked, actually. I like Carry On Regardless. Only one film was shot outside England. Carry On Up the Khyber was filmed in Snowdonia in North Wales. Bernard Breslau's phrase, I only asked was written into all 14 films, because he, um, he had his own series as well, called I Only Asked. Uh, the first film made in colour was Carry On Cruising. There have been, so far, 55 continuity errors, or mistakes, made in 18 of the films spotted by eagle-eyed fans. Uh, June Whitfield says the most vivid memory for her is Carry On Abroad, when she was in bed waiting for Kenny Connor to leap on top of her, knowing that we in the bed were about to crash through the floor below. Luckily it worked the first time, but I was somewhat nervous Uh, doing it. Uh, Another one here. The TV premiere of Carry On Abroad attracted 18 million. That was Els Bells, wasn't it? And Carry On Doctor. Sid James spent most of his screen time in bed as he'd recently suffered a heart attack. So, new book out, and it's called The Official Carry On Facts, Figures and Statistics. It's out in a... It's a paperback. Joan Sims was proposed to by Kenneth Williams, but she turned him down. uh, As she said, he was too selfish for marriage. And he was gay. I would have thought that would have been one of the uh, that would have been one of the reasons I would have thought. So, uh, a new book about the uh, about the carry-ons. Uh, more in the paper as well on uh, Katie to join Strictly Dancers, and this is uh, the hostess, Katie Derham who's going to don her dancing shoes for this summer's prom series when the classical music festival stages a Strictly Come Dancing Night. Good opportunity to drag out some third-rate celebrities. Uh, David Guest in the papers again. They're talking about the fact that he was spotted looking frail and pale on the underground days before his death. See, I mean, I don't think he had any money. Otherwise, he'd be taken around town by car, wouldn't he? he Who's going off to meetings or things like that. Uh, He did say, he was overheard saying, I'm getting old, I'm not as famous as I once was. He was only 62, as I'm sort of... Well, anyway. Uh, he was found dead at the Four Seasons Hotel. He was being seen, helped onto the tube days before his death. Matt Hare, one onlooker, said he looked frail and quite pale and was kind of just staring up at the tube map. So uh, the death is not being treated as suspicious, but we're still waiting for the results of the autopsy. I'm waiting for the funeral. Seriously, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to find out who's going to go and, and what, what people turn up for it. That's, that's going to be very interesting. And would it be carried in OK magazine? Will they be doing a celebrity funeral? I don't know. Uh, I didn't sleep with Alfred Hitchcock, who's this? Tippy Hedron. Uh, so he ruined my career. She's part of this stellar lineup. At next month's Hay Festival, after more than 50 years in Hollywood. The Bird star says she loved to act opposite her famous daughter and granddaughter. I never, I never quite took to Alfred Hitchcock films. I know he featured in all of them himself. You would see at some point he'd either walk across the back of it or he'd be sitting on a bench. There'd be something. He would, he would weave himself in. It became like a, a competition for people going to the cinema to see if you could actually spot him on the programme. Uh, other stories, £64,000 salary. That's what you need to buy your first home. Now, whether that's London, I don't know. 2020, they say, 106000 £138,000 deposit. I mean, seriously, anybody listening at the moment got that? Obviously, a few of you might have that. But do people really have the amount to save up? £138,000. My former producer, Will, tweeted the other day that he's now got the keys to his property. I felt like texting back saying, this is where the money starts draining out. It starts draining. This is where you start... Uh, one of my producers said the other day... He was coming in yesterday to uh, to do a recording with me. And he phoned me up and said, the car's broken down. He said, so the the, the wife is going to run me to the station. I'll come in. So when he came in, I said, oh, God, nothing worse than the car breaking down. And he said, Yes. Yeah, so what is it? He said, the um, the clutch. So... Uh, I know how much clutches cost, so I said, that's about £700. He said, yeah, he said, I don't think the car's worth that much. He said, I might ditch the car and have to buy something else. It's such a nuisance, such a nuisance. Uh, uh, Stuart the Milk says, if you Google Google, can you break the internet? I don't know, actually. I was I was tempted to sort of ask Siri, because I've, I've finally got into asking Siri about the weather, but I've, I've lost the voice of Siri. I don't know where, where Siri's voice has, has vanished to. Because I, I had a voice on, on Siri, and then all of a sudden, it, it disappeared completely. Disappeared completely. So let I me mean, just, just test something, just before I mention uh, mentioned Daniel. Wait a minute, if I do this. What's the weather today? Here we go. No. Oh, he's gone very quiet. Oh, there we go. Oh, no, he disappeared. Obviously very short. The weather for today is clear in seven degrees, and that's about as far as it gets, I'm afraid. I quite like Siri, though. I've only just started using it on the uh, the phone. Um uh, da, 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 Daniel Brown, morning Daniel. He says thank you very much indeed for our Easter bunnies. I never thanked you earlier but we've been away. He says look forward to seeing you soon. Uh, so that's Daniel, Chloe, Robbie, Keely, Jamie and Bump. Okay. Thank you very much indeed for that. It's very uh, very nice, very polite of you. And um somebody else I keep wanting to find out who won that lottery the other night and I don't know who it was. It was 52 million pounds. I know it definitely wasn't me, because, because they never wrote to me. So I'm assuming I'm just not uh, not in on it. Carol says that uh, Eleanor Roosevelt's childhood nickname was Totty, given to her by one of her aunts, because this, this word gets uh, used. Uh, Steve, James O'Brien looks like the protagonist of a new video game called Quantum Break. Wow. So there you go. And Paul says, thank you for cheering me up this morning. Oh, there you go. We've cheered somebody up. That's good. So the thirty-five, no, there was one the other day. This is the thirty-five million pound one who's, who's come forward, and there's a new one. Fifty-two million was won on Tuesday, which is even more, isn't it? Uh, Sean's very excited about in conversation uh, uh, for Saturday morning. Yes, I'm. I'm also very pleased about that. And Paul says, uh, Gaby Guest's last interview was with Dean Gaffney." I think that speaks volumes. Yeah, I think, I think it's going to turn out that it was the big con of the century. There was a very famous woman years ago, and I can't remember who it was, but she was, very, she was titled, and she used to travel. She would go first class, and she was lady and a dowager and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and when she died, the joke was she was broke. She was absolutely flat broke. She never had any money at all. It was all done on on sort of credit cards. And I thought, I wonder if David Guest is going to be like that. If, if they put forward in the paper that he was planning to go up for um, for this Bear Grylls program, and having already told you he's got high blood pressure, there's no chance. LBC News, six fifteen, late. Steve Allen on LBC, text eight four eight five zero. Morning, everybody. Our London, I'm pretty certain. London Transport, they're offering uh, tours underneath. They're going round to some uh, hidden radio, st- uh, hidden radio stations. <laughs> Hidden—that'd ra- be funny, wouldn't it? A hidden radio station, no, a hidden uh, underground station. I think uh, one of them is uh, Down Street in Mayfair. Is it Down Street? Yeah, they're going to be uh, taking you round a few of them. It's worth going if you've never been before. You must definitely go. And so for hidden London, yeah, Down Streets—that's the one, and uh, that's very nice indeed. And also, you'll go to Churchill's secret station. Uh, I think 17,000 tickets are going to go on sale. And it's rare public access. Uh, the Down Street one was used by the Cabinet during the Second World War. And I think, actually, the uh, subterranean shelter at Clapham South. This is one of eight wartime shelters. And uh, they had Caribbean migrants who arrived on SS Windrush in 1948. Uh, tours of Aldwych and Charing Cross unavailable this year. Uh, but they did sell out previous years, and f- I mean, it's worth going, actually. This is the secret world beneath the city's streets. I've been before. Uh, the tours cost £75, but that includes tea from the nearby five star Athenaeum Hotel. I don't know if it's going to be finished by that time because they're currently ripping the hotel apart. And uh, it is a rare opportunity to see a secret side of London, so it's, if you've got the money and you fancy doing it, you go to itmuseum.co.uk forward slash e news. Okay, so it's www. L T is it lt museum sorry London Transport Museum. dot co. dot uk forward slash e news and to all those people who turned up for uh, for Dynamo and the unveiling of the Magic Circle plaque, you can see it on the wall uh, up just literally just by the W Hotel. And uh, a good crowd gathered yesterday. Dynamo pulled the string and unveiled it because it was the very first place that the Magic Circle met 23 members way back in 1905. And uh, it's grown to 1,500 members and they've got their own theatre, as you know, and a club room and a museum. For those people who've been to my Christmas shows there, then uh, you'll know because you'll have been able to see behind the scenes, as they say, and get to see some good magic. Actually, I didn't see any magic at all yesterday. Not one piece of magic, but the president was there, Scott Penrose. And it was all in all, it was it was really lovely. It was really, really lovely. And so well done to everybody who turned up for it. Um, uh, What have we got here? Pete Doherty. It's one of the first acts confirmed to play the, uh Bataclan Concert Hall when it reopens. It's a Paris venue. And so they've got... I didn't know Pete Doherty was still around. Is he still playing? Obviously, yes. Um there's a, one here. The sun is on fire. A 999 caller warned. This is one of these people who sort of picks up the phone and says, um, uh, I've just seen the sun on fire. They think, well, what do you, uh, do you think nine's going to be doing about this? The answer is absolutely nothing at all. Somebody says MPs should be uh, honest about what they do. And if you're going out looking for a record today, let me tell you, if you go to a junk shop, look out uh, for one here. It's a 71 album by Complex. It's worth about £10,000 if you can find it. This one's going to be sold uh, in Holland on Saturday. And uh, membership proof that scouting... Is for girls. Young women and girls now make up a quarter of scouts. Good Lord. Do people not do scouting anymore? I thought people would want to do scouting. That's the exciting thing. Uh, James says, if you say autopsy one more time instead of post-mortem, as we are in England, I shall set James O'Brien on you. Well, actually, I hate to burst your bubble, James, but the official guideline from the NHS is that post-mortem and autopsy are exactly the same thing. It is uh, an examination of the body after death, either called upon by the authorities or by the police or by the general practitioner. So, officially, there is no difference between autopsy or post-mortem. They're both exactly the same. They don't differentiate between here and America. It's still exactly the same. You can call it an autopsy here or a postmortem; It's exactly the same thing. I thought you'd have known that. I had you down as somebody who was, uh, who was the full shilling. Um, um, Steve, Phil Silvers... How much did he get? yes they they brought Phil Silvers over for the carry on films. Nobody liked him. They really didn't like him. He did carry on follow that camel uh, because he was a big star in America for the carry on films. They thought that he would be uh he would be really good, and I think they paid him a lot of money, which could put a lot of people 's noses out of joint but it wasn't uh, it was filmed on was it camber sands or something like that? whatever it was it wasn 't my favorite it wasn 't my favorite one, but I liked the the uh, the potion. That they did in there. Um, another one here. Oh, here's the instruction for you. Settings, General, Siri. Thank you, Grace. I should, this is to try and get the voice back of Siri, who seems to have disappeared. Because I like it when he says, hello, Steve. Because <laughs> it's a different voice now for Siri. A completely different voice. I don't know why it's a different voice, why they changed the, the, uh, the first one. But I was always dying to know how it, uh, how it worked out. Uh, the cabaret show, Night in Paris. It's going to be the pheasantry which I think must be this coming Saturday. If you've never been to the pheasantry in Chelsea, it's a bizarre building. It really is. It's lovely. It's sort of it's down as you're heading up towards World's End on the right-hand side. And it's, uh, it's uh, a part of Chelsea uh, nightlife. It's part of culture down there. And they've got it uh, uh, this Saturday night. It's, a, ni- it's a, a French cabaret show. Ooh, sounds a little bit naughty, doesn't it? Uh, so it's a grade two listed building. Uh, lots of people went there. Um, they reckon that the original building probably turned up in about, I think about 1760 or something like that. Anyway, that's, it was sort of important, very, very important. And, uh, it's, they also, as somebody used to be there, I think in, uh, about, up to about 1930, something like that. They used to make doll's houses in the basements and, uh, intra- in, in, incidentally, they reckon that the Italian painter... Pietro Agonini spent six months a year in Britain using the pheasantry as his British studio. It's a fascinating place to go to. It really is. And have, have a night in Paris. It sounds very exotic, doesn't it? Very nice indeed. So they, they've got uh, details, I think. I don't know if they've got a, a website. I can't remember, actually, if they've actually got a website for it. But I'm sure if you actually uh, check with, with the pheasantry online, you can find out further details of that one, which is uh, something different to do, isn't it? which is quite nice. Uh, Grace says... Oh, sorry, that's the instructions. I've already done those, I do beg your pardon. Uh, Worked in Mayfair all my life, says Paul. Best nightclub in London, Gulliver's in Down Street. Owned and run by Phil Tibbs. You must know it and have been there. I didn't, actually. I didn't. I absolutely didn't. And uh, can you tweet a photo of the Mango Lassie drink? I love them, says Emma. Well, I got it, actually, from... um, I mean, I've I've never found it in uh, Morrison's which has now changed its name, I think. And it's just, it's Nomadic Mango Lassie, and that's all it is. It's not a very big bottle, but it's, uh, it's quite delicious when it's ice cold. Not as good as your play, though. I quite like your play. and again, I don't think that's much cop for me either. Front pages of the, uh, of the papers. Battle for Britain begins for the uh, Express. Yes, 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 Minister. That's the Daily Star. That's referring to the the dominatrix who's whipping up a storm. Uh, Didier Drogpar, the Daily Mail's investigations unit, have raised questions over his £1.7 million charity. Lots of money raised. Not, it appears, too much going out to help the poor people, which it was uh, designed for. Uh, No suggestion, any of these celebrities... Had the faintest idea what was going on. I'm not even sure that Didier Drogba has got uh, any idea what's going on. Daily Mirror, the earth moves for Wills and Kate, quite literally. It's the, uh, the end of their £50,000 freebie... Ho- sorry, their, uh, their holiday to uh, sort of get Anton Cordial together. Uh, Dominatrix Tory faces Slee's Probe. Uh, Whittingdale reported over Amsterdam trip with Lover. It's amazing, isn't it? Then all of a sudden he finds out she's a dominatrix. He doesn't want to know her anymore. Uh, Guest blew £10,000 a day on slots. I don't think he had uh, £10,000. They say he uh, is in debt to half a million pounds. Half a million pounds. It's the hair colour that's always quite funny about David Guest and the fact that he wore makeup when he went out all the time, except when he went on the tube and admitted to somebody he was getting on a bit. I shall be getting on a bit now. I've got a very busy day. I'm going to talk to Julian Fellows and Miriam Margulies. So excited. So excited. So, we'll be back with you uh, tomorrow morning. You can listen to LBC whenever you want, wherever you are. Download the free LBC app for your mobile or tablet. Never miss a moment. You can follow me on Twitter at Steve Allen Show. And if you go to the LBC website, you can learn about podcasting. I have a free podcast up for you shortly. Nick Ferrari has uh, Britain's Conversation for breakfast at seven. But next, Lisa
0: Aziz with the morning news. Leading Britain's Conversation, LBC with Steve Allen.